I was there, he would say afterwards, until afterwards became a time quite devoid of laughter. I was there the day Horus slew the Emperor. Hi, welcome to the Great Rift Podcast. I'm David. I'm Jamie. And uh, we're going to be talking today about probably one of my favourite books in any of the Black Library books. And I know I've got a lot of favourites, we all have favourites, but this was the first one I remember really resonating with me and making me go, holy fuck, I don't know anything about this world. Um, We're doing Horus Rising by Dan Abnett. I'm very excited to talk about this. What about you, Jamie? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I listened to the audio book for preparation for this this episode, and I was like, I don't know, I didn't even, like, this has got to be the third, fourth time on listening, reading it, and it's even, I just get more out of it every time. It's Yeah, it's a really good book. It is. It's so good. There's Before we go into the, the, the nuances of it, there's the, it's that whole bit about hope for me, where you see what could have been of the universe. We don't get much more of it in the later heresy books. That the the era of the Great Crusade and humanity being like at its peak. I fucking love it. I think it's so cool. But um, yeah, it's, it's, we all know where it goes. But uh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, as, as per episode tradition, I guess we should start with hobby stuff. So what have you been up to, Jamie? Um, what have I done? Oh, I'm still painting. Belisari is cool, and it is, yeah, it's hard work. I've had like uh, this week off, and I've spent two days, two three days on it so far. On like, I did the legs, and like that whole bottom row bit, and I did the base. I've done the axe. I've literally left the torso bit to last, and it is, it's really kicking my ass. It's so many cables, so many freaking robes arms oh yeah it is it's hard work it's funny isn't it because some people look at a model and go oh that's a that's going to be a joy to paint i looked at it and thought i don't have the patience for belisarius call it's it's a mixture of like joy and just oh, I don't know, it, getting all the base colors on it as just was a nightmare and doing all like, the extra details is yeah, I don't know. I just I feel I had to do it in more. I should have done it even into more pieces than it was. Like it's got two like weapon arms on the side, like the claw and the solar atomizer, and they are just getting in the way of a lot of stuff. So yeah, oh, really? my tip if anyone is building them is leave those gun claw arms off as well, because there's like robes underneath his arms that are just yeah really difficult to get. Jamie's to. top tips. Yeah, and. Yeah, cables. Be prepared to do lots of like hazard striped cables and arms and legs. It's it is once it's gonna be done it's gonna be I'm gonna be happy with it. But yeah, it's it's it has got to it got to stages where it was a chore in places, for sure. Yeah, I don't like that feeling when I paint. I just end up stopping just because it's gotta be joy for me, otherwise there's no point doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um there's definitely been parts I've loved, like the axe was really cool to paint, and the and just some of the cloth details were quite fun to do some new stuff on it. Yeah, um, that's nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it, 
but I'm glad there's only like one of him. <laughs> yeah. I want to do like an army of him. I guess he is a centerpiece for your force as well. Not every army has a HQ that's such a massive model. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas... he's, yeah, he's really tall. Like as tall, tall. Once I like looking like putting the parts together, I was like, oh crap, he is. He's quite big. Yeah. He's a big model, and I mean, rightly so. He's been. He's as we talked about him in the last episode, didn't we? He's a character was. He's quite a cool character, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's different now to what he was like in, in uh, yeah, when I mentioned him before, like where he's just a normal dude, but yeah, yeah, definitely very centaur like. He's got like the whole there's bits underneath the robe we don't even see on the model, but it's got like a whole centipede thing with like loads of legs coming off him, and yeah, Gross. he's cool, yeah, grim, yeah. Cool. So I'm glad he's only, glad there's only one of him, to be fair. Yeah, what else have you been doing hobby wise? Um, so I think last week I went round to our mate Woody's and there was our mate Jack and Rob and Gabble. Lovely, lovely. Brighton Wall Council goes and they were playing a game of bubble. So I was just spectating, but it was, it was you know, is that, having a few drinks. Is that Woody's? Um, is that Woody's light up blood bowl board that he's made? <laughs> yes. It's yeah. Beautiful. Is well, the only one thing is in blood bowl you have to like if you get knocked down or knocked out you like place your models on the lying down on the floor and like turn them over and this pitch is beautiful but it's like textured oh, <laughs> you have to so... be very careful when you're like oh grim yeah, yeah i would i if, if i was more of a warrior i would definitely have like a little bit of foam with me do you know what i mean like <laughs> lay it down on the foam nice and softly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no it's, it's all right when you, you're just doing it yes you know you know you're doing but yeah the ocd of yourself you're just like Oh, okay, can I can I just do my own model, please? <laughs> yeah, grim. I've so never quite understood done. when they've brought those types of things into the uh, 40k games and Warhammer games, like laying your models down. It's existed for a while in different different games. I find it bizarre. Most people yeah. don't really want to lay their models down. <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense in Bloodborne because he has literally been knocked flat on his back. So yeah. it's it's a good way. It's an easy way to represent it. But yeah, yeah, in other games, I I mean. In 40k, I don't understand why. How? Yeah, I wouldn't understand why you would do it, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, we watched that. That was good. I think Woody's Wood Elves. If you're not seeing him on his Instagram account, I think we shared his account before on our on our Instagram. He did our artwork. So if you look at his stuff, his Wood Elf team is pretty damn good. It's yeah. really. It's some. I think they're a third party, third party um, models, and they're yeah. His tree man is. It's so cool. It's really nicely done. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do you know I've never played Bud Bowl? It's one of those games. Yeah, I've never, you said before. Yeah, yeah never you played. Should. I'd love to try. I absolutely would love to try. For me, it's just um, never having bloody time. Like you know, my working hours can be ridiculous. And yeah, like this week I've gone in eight o'clock every day. Not got out. I think the earliest I've got out is about half six, which was today. So recently, it's just been like no hobby time for me. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's. And Blood Bowl is quite a longer game than you think. Yes. Yeah. Some people play it like chess, where you have timed uh, timed rounds. Oh, nice. Like, I like that. Yeah, I can see that working, but I just don't know the rules well enough to be able to do that. Mm. But So um, we, that is a way to do it, and I think that would help. But yeah, it does take a bit longer than you think, for sure. Were you there when um, we did the BWC... Um, Patrol tournament day for the first time in yeah that was literally the one that brought me back into this hobby yeah so yeah yeah I remember you were there because you brought you brought your baby and yeah, she was like she baby was, baby yeah. yeah 
Um, yeah, she must be only like two months old. Yeah, she was tiny. She was like proper tiny. Um, yeah, that that's the first time we'd done a timed round because we wanted it was like basically there's an old fashioned forty k in forty minutes. Like it was back in the day. I remember playing it when I was at school. We got like four hundred points worth of models, but we boosted the models up, model count up a bit. So I think we did it to like six hundred points, but we still made it forty minutes. But we just had time limits. So, like, we staggered it, so, like, turn one was a little bit longer. But then as the turns moved on, it got less and less, and you got penalised. You know, we had... uh, Me and James were, like, games masters for the day. So we went around, and and it was hilarious. So if people were going too long over their turn, um, James invented this rule. Like, it was agreed before, but he came up with it in the pack, where he could just start implementing random acts of fate by rolling a dice. So he'd just come over and go, wow, that unit... There's 10 models there. I'm going to roll 10 dice. Any ones? A dude dies. Like, just to speed the game up and make people freak out about the timing. It's very, very fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that is a good way to play. So, and I think 8th edition does help. I think that is a quicker game in general. So. Oh, absolutely quicker game. Yeah, so... Uh, I, well, oh, Kill Team as well. Oh, bloody I, hell, yeah. I thought about... Well, I've got the book... And it's, yeah, it looks cool. I've watched some games, and so I've got. I bought the Orc starter box. Was it Graz Gold Boys? Or yeah, yeah. Something I know like that. Yeah. yeah. So that basically that's a, a load of burners and some rules, special rules for the Orcs and stuff. So yeah, I'm trying to do this Orc kill team, and uh, I want to do a shout out to. I think he was on the community actually at the time. Um. He's done an orc team with a quarter paint. Quarter paint? I can't remember his name. He, they, um, Warhammer Community did a um, section about his orcs, and they're like so, so beautiful. So he has definitely inspired me on my orc kill team. Oh, it's amazing. The, it's interesting that you and me keep falling into the trap of liking the same things at the same time. Yeah. We're so in tune. Like, you went for orcs on kill team, and I'm really flirting with starting an orc force. Um, once that codex yeah. drops yeah I mean I definitely would although I'd be an orc force that try and deviates away from too many boys just me too like, yeah. the one thing that puts me off orcs painting hundreds of boys I'd go full speed freaks and just have bikes and everything yeah yeah absolutely love them so I can't one of the things that's stopping me is I can't find any commander I, I you know when those commandos turned up online, I stupidly was like, oh, I'll order them when I get home. By the time I got home, sold out. Oh, dude. <laughs> Fools me, so... Why didn't you do it? I know. I was, just, was it to check in with the missus? No, it was just I was in the middle of work, so I was just like, oh, I could try and do it on my phone, but you know what, I'll just wait until I get home, I can, you know, yeah, I was yeah. just in the middle of stuff, and then, yeah, I was like, oh, I got home, right, let's do it. No, sold out. There'll be loads of orc kill teams out there now, with the commandos yeah. in. So, um, they'll come back in. Yeah, they will. So, that's what I'm hoping to do. That's my next project. Nice, anyway. nice. Something better than... It'd be nice to paint something that's not so red. Something, something a bit more green. <laughs> but then do them red because you're blatantly going to end up doing speed freaks eventually. Yeah, probably, yeah, with that buggy that was shown. Oh, so nice. Yeah, so cool. As someone okay, that works I'm, in... As someone that works in advertising, I really enjoyed that advert. Yeah, it's such a rip-off of, um, like, Volkswagen, the Beetle advert. Yeah, yeah it was great. The 60s, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, they did the really lovely... Um, it, it was kind of... 
very similar to Apple adverts as well. Like yeah, in, in the tone that, and the, the, the yeah, that. the drama in it was very Apple. It's very funny. I can't believe how old that original buggy was. Like Twenty three years old, didn't say. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. I used to have a couple, and I remember, I remember they even stuck out years ago. Even when like the Orc range first got changed up to the way the boys are now. Yeah. Because the orcs on the that were driving those trucks and those buggies and the one on the back with the gun are so skinny. They look like really malnourished orcs. Yeah, I think they're um, they're like Gorkamorka stuff as well, aren't they? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I remember I remember that coming out and getting that set because I collect orc collected orcs at the time. It was like a bargain. I remember yeah. just being like, oh my god, you get so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to find um, a red gobbo. For my kill team as well from Gorkamorka. I think he was like the he was like the Gretch and he led the uh, rebellion. Like oh, the, I think I remember him. Yeah, he's got like a like a trench coat on and stuff. Yeah, and a little like that. He was ever so slightly USSR. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I was trying to find him, but he's only like he's like twenty five quid on eBay. So yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, any listeners out there want to help me out? Then yeah, do us a favour. Yeah. So yeah, that's it really for my side. Um, what have I been doing? Uh, not an awful lot, actually. I've been, like I said, work's really been pounding me recently. Um, big, big clients, lots and lots of fun. But, uh, yeah, last week and the week before and the week before that, I think I've done three or four early starts and late finishes, just eating up all of my free time. And you know what it's like. Like You get, you finally get home and you sit down and you eat and you're just like, I need to go to sleep and just do it all yeah. over again. On top of that, having Sarah's family stay with us last week for a week was it was lovely. We had a lovely time. It was really nice to see them. But again, I did zero hobby. Um, we went to Margate and I read the um, uh, what do they call it? Malign Portents book from beginning to oh, end, yeah. which is fantastic to finally read that. I've had that book for months, and just to get more juicy Age of Sigmar content was really really nice. Um, it's so much more grim dark than some people realise. Like it's so depressing and horrible, um, which I'm a big fan of. Um, uh, what else? Been painting Manfred for my um, death army. But I've paused on him because um, we're doing a. Ta- I don't know if I've told you this. Doing a tale of four gamers with Dan, Scott, and James. Oh yeah, I think yeah. I think yeah, we're we're actually properly doing it, but we've all got a deadline in the middle of September. Got 750 points we have to have painted by that timeline or there's a forfeit. Like, I imagine there'll be a forfeit of some kind. Like, you know, if you bring unpainted mods to the table, then you get a negative modifier or whatever. Um, But I realised there's no point me painting Manfred for that. So I've paused on him because he's 400-odd points on his own. So can't really take a viable force. So I've just been building more skeletons. I'm going to... And I've bought a... um, I don't know if you remember the vampire model from back in the day. I already used to own him and I lost him. He was called the Red Duke. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, I do think I do remember. I found him on eBay for a tenner. Um, and I, I was just like, well, I want a vampire. I was, I was trying to find a vampire on Steed because that's going to be my HQ for the smaller games. Um, I'm going very vampire heavy, just lots and lots of horrible attacky stuff that can do a bit of magic. And found him and he's completely clean like he's he, i don't think he's ever been painted um nice but he is missing his cape but i wasn't going to include the cape anyway so i feel like i've kind of 
Double win. Double win. Um, so building him, forgot how much I hate building metal models. Um, yep. <laughs> trying to get a slot horse. So do you remember what the horse models are like, where they've got the long slots across the bottom of their feet? Oh, yeah, yeah. That would yeah. go into the rectangle bases. Well, you can't get that into a round base in any way. So I'm trying to have to... Um, I'm find, trying to find a way of positioning him without him falling over, which is going to be really difficult. But yeah, that's what I'm doing, really. I built ten skeletons last night and hated every second of it because they're so skinny and fiddly. You stick a bit together, take your fingers away, and you pull the, the head one way and the body yeah. the other. It's fucking annoying. Um, but I'm going to go to Dan's on Saturday, and we're going to have a painting and football session, which would be nice. Um while Sarah goes to a day festival, so I get some lad time. Uh, but that's it for me for hobby. Um, I'm getting, like I mentioned, orcs are on my periphery, but also some space wolves. That the new space wolf stuff dropping. I just every time I tap into them, I fall in love with them again, and I've never, yeah, collect, I've never collected them. I've never collected them. I've got all of that Dark Millennium space uh, Primera Space Marine stuff completely untouched on sprues in a box and I'm just like oh I could be very tempted to do a primary space wolf force because um, what what puts me off about space wolves is how far they've taken it at the moment where it's just like wolf bullets and wolf axes and wolf missiles and <laughs> Logan Grimnar on a Santa sleigh and it's just like oh my god but primary yeah. bring it back into the real space wolves in my head the space wolves of the Horus Heresy era where they're just in incredible warriors but they're not like ott which is kind of where i felt like it went um and yeah, literally they've got like bazookas and fire wolves now it's just yeah. fucking mad and it's just i get it it's an ip thing they have to make stuff you know uh, yeah there's no, literally there's no mention of people riding wolves in any of the horrors heresy because it just doesn't happen at that stage how how big and scary and amazing does that wolf have to be to carry a space marine on its back do you know what i mean yeah there's only that mention of two, and they belong to Russ. Yeah. He would actually go and fight. Yeah, and then they're not necessarily even wolves, like we don't know. So, yeah. Well, there is no wolves on Fenris State. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. It's true. There aren't. Um, so, yeah, that's it for hobby for me, being very quiet. Um, but I also think that's part of the weather. I don't know about you, but when it gets hot and sunny, I do struggle to just sit indoors on the weekends. Yeah, I just struggled to do anything, to be honest. It was, it was too it's, much for me. I couldn't handle it. Yeah, it was unexceptionally hot. So Sarah's family are from the northeast, where it gets like 25 at its hottest. And they were in London two weeks ago when it was 33 in our flat. Oh, God, Her yeah. poor granddad was just like, I can't be doing this. It was <laughs> so hot. It was it was unbearable. Like I was I was lying in bed. You, know, you can feel the heat in the air. It's like, no. Nah. Yeah, you're just sweating in bed, yeah. doing nothing. I'm so nothing. glad it's raining coldy now. Like, I just love yeah. it. Um, so that's it for hobby time. I guess we should um, crack on with the show. Um, yeah. So I think we agreed we should start with talking about the Great Crusade. So instead of just diving straight into the book, I'm hoping we've got enough of a listenership now that might not know a single thing about the Horus Heresy. Um, yeah, I guess some people... I mean, it's quite daunting. At the stage, it's quite a daunting saga isn't it there's, I mean, there's 40 plus books nearing 50 I think yeah I I've mean if track. you're looking at that you just go I, I can't even bother to start it a lot of people but you absolutely and I mean, should a lot, and there's a lot of, there is some negativity in there as well some people said well there's you know there's a lot of 
rubbish books in there. And I mean, that's people's opinion. And there's there are some books that are not of the well, not, I was gonna say high side of side issues that are to people who don't really want. So yeah, yeah. It, it can be quite daunting looking at it. And it, we heard it from the horse's mouth at Black Library Weekend, where they were like. Um, we didn't have any clue how big and popular this was going to be. It was meant to just be a, uh, what's the word they used? A, um, not a mosaic, a tapestry of the Horus Heresy, where it was meant to be like a sandbox where the writers could go in and write any story they wanted about any part of the Horus Heresy. So that's why the first like ten books, only the first three, maybe four or five, feel linear, and then after that you get this big chunk where it's all over the place. Like yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's no continual narrative anywhere, and it's only in the last two or three years where they've like ramped up telling the story, and that it's all weaving back in together now. Um, so it's it's interesting, and I guess that's why it's daunting for some people because they know if they've got to read it and they've heard that, they've got to slog through ten books that might not be that relevant. But do you know what? I still pick those ones up and read them now. They're all fantastic. I I fucking love every second of it. I'm getting a bit sad about the fact that we're getting near the end now. You know, like when you finish a great TV series. um, I still get sad every time I watch The Office and I get to the final season, like the American (laughs) one. I mean, Sarah Sarah gets upset because she's like, I can't believe I'm going to finish it again. I feel like that about The Horus Heresy. I'm I'm not looking forward to it being over one day. Yeah, it's going to be like that when Game of Thrones ends. People are going to not know what to do with themselves well, apparently, until, the next thing, until the next thing comes along. Yeah, I mean, side story on that. Apparently they are going to do a prequel season. The um, Yeah. yeah. I, can, I, can see, I can see why they would do it. I don't know necessarily should they do it. but No. Yeah. no, no. Um, so, I guess let's just talk about The Great Crusade for a couple of minutes. Um, what it was, why it's why it's important to the story, I guess. It's a, it's a good scene setting. Um so the great crusade is it was a period of time where the emperor had unified finally unified earth um bringing us back from the brink of destruction really uh, in terms of humanity um and it was called the unification wars which is when he first used proto proto astartes so i think they're what they're called they're called thunder warriors thunder warriors yeah who were like more advanced space marines, but genetically unstable. But they were used to conquer, well, a vast majority of them were used to conquer Earth and get rid of all of the... Because it was just inundated with tyrants and mutant warlords and, you know, psychers of... Tribes, um, yeah, loads of tribes, cyber tribes and things All like sorts that. of crazy techno-barbarian awesomeness. Yeah. Like, reminds me of that scene in, like... Um, the dread movie with Sylvester Stallone where they're like beyond the wall and like everyone lives off of eating each other and it's just all fucking horrible. Um, yeah, it's like a bit like Conan the Barbarian in places. I can, yeah, I can just imagine it's like totally weird techno- technology in different levels of states, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. But the Great Crusade started with the unification of terror, then off the back of that, the Emperor bred in his laboratory under um, one of the many mountains in is it in Tibet? His, his um, Heidi place? It's under the Himalayas. Yeah. Himalayas, that's it. Uh, he, he made 20 sons. Those 20 sons were bred in vats and they get scattered across the galaxy due to unknown warpy magic stuff that you learn more about later. But caveat that with an asterisk. You don't know if that's true or not. How it happens, you know chaos are involved but 
the, the the reasoning behind it you can never rationalize chaos we don't know why they really scattered it who fucking knows it might have might have been caused by someone it might have just been pure spite of the chaos gods it's just just there to be debated um yeah. and the emperor's like ah oh, fuck do i build more no that's a bad idea do i continue with my plan yes i have to continue with my plan his plan being leaving earth and retaking the galaxy for humanity so humans had already conquered earth many millennia ago which I'm assuming he was part of, um, seeing as he's been around since day one. Uh, but he leads uh, all sorts across the galaxy. So his first marine, space marine armies, um, which were just legions, they just had really weird names like the First Legion and the Angels of Death, and um, yeah, they all eventually get as well, aren't they? So they're all yep. They're not like as you find later where they're all got certain traits from the. Primarch's homeworld, they're just, everyone's from Terra. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we can talk about more about that later, actually, about how that influences some people's thinkings in other stories. You know, it's very, very fascinating. Um, but as as the Emperor starts conquering the galaxy, and this is doing a space at a pace that's just, un, you know, it's absolutely bonkers, um, he slowly but surely starts finding all of his sons, thought as... They call themselves his sons. He doesn't necessarily always call them his sons. It depends on how you interpret the Emperor. Um, but, yeah, he eventually starts finding them all. But, most importantly, he finds Horus first, and very early on. We don't know all of the details, because it's kept kept kind of murky, I guess. Um, yeah. But, he finds Horus, and it's never implied if he finds him on Chthonia. Or he finds him and they go to Chthonia. The Lunar Wolves are yeah, from Chthonia. But you don't actually know if he's definitely landed there and grazed there or whether he found him before. Yeah, that's true. Um, about that. yeah, yeah, it's never never implied that he's actually Chthonian. Um, just that he raised his legion on Chthonia. So, yeah, there's a mention of his accent in this book, isn't there? They say that Horace speaks with like uh, a gang... Uh, he speaks accent. in yeah. He speaks in the lowest common gang tongue yeah, to his officers. Yeah, but do know that is put on or not put oh, on. Oh, it's absolutely put on because <laughs> yeah. he's so charismatic. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So anyway, he finds Horace, and over time, I think the next one they find is Lehman Russ. Then I believe they find one of the missing sons. So there's twenty in total, but actually in the history, there's only eighteen. Two of them have been expunged from the records for whatever reason. Um. Then they find Ferris Manus, and then on it goes. They just find more and more. Eventually, 250 years later, the galaxy's been fucking brutalised by humanity to the point of it, we own everything, and we're still pushing the outer rims. Um, and the Emperor puts Horus in charge as the first of his sons, and he calls him the War Master. And yeah, so at this point, isn't it? So they've just... They had a big battle on this place called Ulanor, which is basically this massive orc space planet station that they've created. And I think this is the point where they've like finally defeated this huge war of orcs, uh, orcs. And this is where the emperor decides that this is coming to the, this crusade is coming to an end, isn't it? So he's yeah, yeah. So Ulanor is the heart of the orc empire, and it was the final. Uh, major threat to humanity that you know no matter how much humanity had done they couldn't ignore it because it could end up wiping out all the good they'd done yeah so they have to take it on and the emperor has been leading from the forefront for the throughout the crusade for 200 or 250 odd years um and yeah he, he's 
I think in Ilan I think Eleanor had every legion present, but I think the Emperor and Horus were fighting side by side through all of it. Um, yeah, not every Primarch was there, but every, every legion was. Yeah, of every legion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So he's bestowed the title of Warmaster. Some Primarchs take it amazingly. Like you know, Sanguinius is beyond happy for him and proud of him. Other brothers are a bit more. How dare he? Like I'm better than him, kind of. Yeah, there's like three stages in there there's like ones that are really happy ones that are a bit indifferent and ones that are quite jealous so yeah and you know the one there are there was calls for others to potentially have been made warmaster over horus for their tactical acumen or their logistical skills so like the lion the lion was a bit gutted that he wasn't made warmaster because he is ever so slightly a better tactician i'm sure someone will disagree with me out there in the community but he is. He's a master tactician. Like he's so so spookily good at it. Um, and you know, like uh, I I personally think Reboot Gilliman would have been a brilliant choice because he yeah, just I've, gets I've shit done. Yeah, I said like he, he, he's got given a title of Warmaster, but the Emperor doesn't really at this stage. I don't think he wants a Warmaster. He just wants someone who can Su- like supreme admin shit and get yeah. it done. Yeah. And, Rabute's the guy for that, really. But so yeah, when they found Rabute, he had a galaxy of five hundred worlds. Like yeah, exactly. he's, he, he fucking had a quarter of the uh, the Imperium to himself. Like it's just he's so fucking advanced. Um, this is one of the story, isn't it? That Horus is always he. I think he's the one that gets the most time with the obviously gets the most time with the Emperor on his own. Later, some of the later sons don't even. They only meet their dad like well, the dad, the, the Emperor once when he comes to find them, and that's it. Like yeah, he like never speaks to them ever again. Yeah, so the Alpha Legion have no identity with him. Yeah, and I think I think some even the other. I think even the Lion doesn't have that much, and and even probably even Rabuti as well. But obviously, he doesn't take that to heart. So I think Chorus no. is quite lucky that he's the one he's got such a connection with. So that's kind of in the reasoning of why the Emperor chooses him. Yeah, as well. and and I... he is the best. Like, he's got the best legion, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Horus also has the one thing a lot of them lack. He's got the most humanity. Um, he's just a little bit more human. He's emotional. Um, he's, he's charismatic and intelligent, but he is emotional. Like He's a little bit more easily wound up and a little bit more easily moved to laughter. Or, you know, all the variables, like from happy to sad, but... And you can see that being the Achilles heel as the story goes on. Is he's, oh, yeah, yeah, he's exploitable definitely. because of that. That's his biggest biggest strength and his biggest weakness um, is his ability to identify with humanity. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's the scene setting, really. The book starts have, um, with Horus on his merry way as the Warmaster. I don't think he's been the Warmaster for that long, either. It might be no, his think, first compliance. I think yeah, I think this is literally one of the because some people don't even call him Warmaster yet, and then I think someone one of the other characters picks him up on it. It's like no, you use his his title now of Warmaster. Yeah. So yeah, it's it is. Yeah, I've just just, just it's, double, a new, it's a new title. Yeah, just double checked my notes. It's the first major engagement, the very beginning of the book. The first major engagement is elevation to Warmaster. Um. So, yeah, that's The Great Crusade. Shall we talk quickly about some of the characters? I don't think we need to go into a mass amount of detail, um, but if we just talk about the notable characters across the legions and some of the uh, remembrances, we need to talk about what they are. Um, yeah, I guess it's the first introduction of them, really, in any sort of black library 
Oh, it's a brilliant idea. But we'll get we'll yeah, get we'll get to idea. that. So quickly start with the Primarchs. So I noted in my book we see Horus, of course. He is Primarch of the Lunar Wolves, War Master of the Great Crusade. First son found by the Emperor. Um yeah, we've already talked about him. He's immensely charismatic and likable. And I think that was Dan Abnett's biggest point that he made about this book was he's writing a story about a character that everyone knows what happens to him. He's like Darth Vader. You know he's gonna yeah. be a, you know he's gonna be a prick. Like prequel, isn't it? Yeah, like, like the prequels where you all know Anakin becomes Darth Vader but you you don't really know the full story on how it happened. So. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge in any of these stories, um, and especially in the first one, is breaking that preconception. Trying to make a character who is known to become the downfall of everything in that universe for the humans be so likable is a massive achievement. Like he never comes across as cheesy, likable. It's oh god, yeah, I, I'd be loyal to you. You're you're fucking great. Yeah. Um, so that's Horus. He, you know, superhuman Primarch. Uh, there are two more in there, but we won't dwell on them too much because they're not super relevant to the story. You've got Rogel Dawn, Primarch of the Imperial Fists. He pops in it slightly. And uh, Sanguinius, Primarch of the Blood Angels. He turns up towards the end of the book, I think it is. Um, yeah, I th- oh, yeah, a little bit of the middle, and then he drifts off, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, it's just like a nice little cameo, which, uh, you know, I think they just felt like they had to put him in there because he's so liked. Um, and he's best friends you know him and Horus have an immense connection Um, so yeah that's that's the Primarchs that are in the story let's talk about the Lunar Wolf characters should we start with the Mournival yes you probably explain what that is yeah so there's four people in the Mournival and the Mournival are a unofficial uh, group hierarchy within the Lunar Wolves they are essentially the four humours. Do you know what I mean? Like they, yeah, yeah, definitely. They are responsible to be soundboards. To be, um, I don't know what you call I mean, it. Be his conscience, aren't they? Yeah, like... his conscience, his naysayer, his to to challenge Horus on things that he might not have thought of. And they know they know that he's probably thought of everything, but it's to voice it and make it heard um, in confidence. So. There's always four people and their jobs, you know, it's very funny. So you've got four characters. The most important one in terms of the weight of the character, and I can't believe he managed to write him in such a great way, is Ezekiel Abaddon, the, probably the most famous bad guy in 40K when I was a kid. You know, he was the front cover of, like, the second or third edition Chaos Space Marine Codex. Yeah. And once again, Dan Abnett's had to play that game of making him a character that you don't immediately go, oh, fuck that guy. Like, yeah, he's really he's kind of he's kind of out of all four of them, he's not the one that you'd expect. I mean, uh, Little Horace is out the other one of the other ones. He's way more like he comes across not as well as Abaddon does. Abaddon comes off like just kind of an all right guy. He's, yeah, he comes across as his father's son. Like he's he's very likable, very charismatic, but he's quick to anger, and that's his trait within the Mournival. Is he's the the ruthless stickler for the rules do you know what i mean like we absolutely should wipe that race out immediately because of xyz yeah, yeah, yeah then you've got um little horus aximand who is the shyer quieter member of the monovol he's the conscience he's the one that's always thinking of the right and wrong and he's he's got the moral compass slightly but he's called little horus because he looks most like horus which is just awesome 
like um, uncannily apparently there's yeah. some there's some of of his like of his legion who carry like their Primarch's trait even to like their appearance so much because they're not really some maybe some of them aren't from Terra some maybe some of them are Cathonian or from a later breed but look, yeah look, he's apparently like the spitting image of Horus yeah I forgot to mention that Ezekiel Abaddon is the first captain so you got the Gestarian who wear all black um, and the Lunar Wolves wear like a a white um, with black trim so he's like already he looks like how we know him in the 41st millennium just jet black armor with gold trim um and yeah little horace axamand is captain of the fifth company then the third member of the um monoval is Tarek torgadon who is captain of the second company he's um he's the joker yeah he's the comic relief but he's fucking good at his job as well as we'll talk about later like he fucking is so good at being a captain. Like he would make jokes, but yeah, I just I really really like Tarek. He's a fantastic character. And Garvio Loken, probably the well, he is the main character throughout the first book and the opening trilogy. Um, he is our our main window into the world of the Horus Heresy starting. Um, and I love Garvio. He's um, not necessarily because he's like the best. He's not. There are people that are better than him at a lot of things, but I really like him because he's he's got what Horus has. He's really human. Um, his humanity is a really strong part of him. He's got a really strong moral compass, but he also believes in the truth and the secular truth. Yeah, um, definitely. He's he takes that very to his heart, isn't it? It's he doesn't like lying. He doesn't like being deceived. He there's a, there's a bit when he, they talk about. Um, some of the groups that this and they all sort of hide stuff from each other, and he, he really does not like that. Yeah, the lodges. Off. Yeah, the, the lodges. lodges. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and he's he definitely uh, grates against his his way of being. Yeah, sure. and, and some people can accuse him of being a little like, straight arrow, a little bit of too too goody two shoes, but he's, he's definitely not. I mean, he will rip people's heads off in battle and. It's like that. It's just he, yeah. As you say, he's got a strong idea of what being a space or an astrates is about, and it exactly. is like about yeah. protecting humanity. And he doesn't see himself as. I mean, he's not human, and he does. You know, there is a difference between them, but he definitely views them him being there as defending humanity, and that's what they should be about. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? That's probably the most ultramarine thing about him, because that's how they think. Yeah. They're, they're there to ensure humanity's survival um, and he very much sees that as his job but also um, yeah he's I, I really because you know I've, I think I mentioned it before no, I'm not religious in any way I'm very much a science man um, and I think that's the, the where the, that you know it's almost scarily but there's the, the imperial truth thing comes in that whole shining a light in the darkness so there is no darkness that's where he sort of lives in that world of everything being out in the open learning understanding educating science that's the way to push humanity forward not having secret little lodge meetings in the darkness yeah in a military organization probably not the best thing for our morale in the long term um so i yeah i I love him and uh for anyone that has not read read these three but he's just such a great character he's really really likable and probably one of the best horus heresy character models out there as well in my opinion I think that's the little diorama of him and Abaddon is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's cool. Um, the Babin one is a little bit disappointing, cause, but I didn't think it does give him justice. But yeah, I, I like the diorama for sure. Yeah, it's cool. I just I love it's like, the third book, isn't it? So. Yeah, I just I love the Loken model. I think he looks brilliant. Yeah. Um. So there's a couple more side characters for the Lunar Wolves, which I think are worth tapping into. Um, my favourite, Iacton Cruz, the half yeah. who He's not in this one so much, is he? He's no. Little, but no, he's, he comes to his he's, own later. He comes to his own later. So he's one of the oldest Lunar Wolves in the Legion. He's been there for a long term. He's a long time. He's he, captain. The unity, he fought in the uh, Unification Wars. Yes, yeah, so he's been there since day zero. Um, but he is captain of the third company, um, and yeah, why is he called the half herd again? I can't remember the main reason. Um, it's because they he said you know he's he's like an old man where he he thinks he's, he's spouting wisdom to the, these young people, but actually most of the time he's most because he's old and getting like a bit over the hill, shall we say that he's not quite up to speed he's not keeping up with what's going on so they kind of listen to him out of respect but they don't really take in what he's saying yeah it's funny because he's probably the wisest one there like that's he is, that's there is, he is in bits i think i think maybe his strategy is not quite moved along from the unification war i mean they're fighting a different type of war now at this point so maybe that you know his strategy isn't brilliant but in terms of his moral compass in terms of his conscience is actually he is quite wise in what he's saying so. yeah he's very alert um and i guess the last major lunar wolf character actually no two more there's one i've forgotten about which i'll just write down but um malaghurst or mal as he's known the, e- the twisted e- yeah malaghurst the twisted the equerry to the warmaster so he becomes the equerry doesn't he because of what happens at the very beginning of the book? Is that right, or was he yeah, already so the equerry? I think he was. I think he always was the equerry, actually. In some, because he's apparently very. He's got um, a political head on him, shall we say? He's very cunning in in how he views things and how he gets things done, in, and how he plays that game, that political game. Yeah. But he becomes a twisted because because of that way he thinks, but also because he has that, like he literally almost dies, gets blown out of the sky. Yeah, so his nickname, The Twisted, is because of his political acumen, and then he ends up physically a bit deformed for a space marine, which is horribly yeah. ironic. Um, but yeah, I like Mal. I think Mal's a cool character. He's a very strong confidant of the of, of Warmaster. He trusts him, in, you know, with his life. Um, yeah. And yeah, so he's very important to the story and the, 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 the trilogy arc. Um Last one for me, uh, Nero Vipus. I nearly forgot about him. Oh yeah, he's a great little character. He's the, um, I think he's a, he's a sergeant. Uh, yeah, he's a sergeant. But because Loken becomes part of the Mournerville, he he basically be, as, and it comes into the story that he is chosen by Loken to lead in his absence of the company. Yeah, so he he, he I think he was a sergeant, and he becomes a bit more of a sergeant. Um, in terms of right, you're the most senior person. Are they called Lacaster Tactical Squad? Lacaster Squad? Yes, I think so. Yeah. It's like it's um, uh, Garvio Loken's favoured squad that he would move around with when on the battlefield, and that's why he puts him in charge because he might not be the most senior, but he trusts him, and that's that's the way the 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 Lunar Wolves work. Is it's 
it's not necessarily a clear linear step up for promotion it's the right person for the right job and I think that speaks a lot about the Lunar Wolves do you know what I mean the, the, the attitude of just getting the job done the right person for the right thing yeah and I think they're well known amongst all the other legions for being that way aren't they, they yeah everyone says to them that you're um, every, when they fight with everyone they're like they're like ruthless and just getting the job done yeah 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 so that's that's the Lunar Wolves um there's a couple more Space Marines I think we should talk about. The Emperor's Children. Oh, yeah, my, my boy in the Emperor's Children. Which Song one? Target. The fucking boy. So <laughs> so cool, Song Target. Yeah. I mean, as the trilogy goes on as well, he just gets even better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Saul Target is the captain of the 10th Company, um, but he's a line officer, and he's not given much respect, but he doesn't take that in a way of he doesn't just moan about it or anything he does his job he understands his job he understands he's a line officer and he just does it he's yeah, like that. He, has no, he has no ambition to be um anymore and he just thinks this is my role and this is what i'm really good at so this is what i'm going to do really well and that's how he sees the uh, emperor's children's ideals of perfection operating yeah, that's how, yeah in his view that's how the emperor's children should be which is interesting because i think that's how it starts the emperor's children and some other characters go a different way with it yeah so um, sort of it's standard captain very very efficient at his job but no ambition to move forward because he understands that he's not the level of the other character i want to talk about which is eidolon uh, yeah. who's the lord commander who sort of it's reports to who is the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to perfection he's a prick he's an unbelievable <laughs> prick massive prick yeah. uh, there's, i've never met a character i hate as much Actually, yeah, and so quickly as well. You hate him like really quickly. It's yeah. Mm. He's he reminds me of, like that that school bully that you fucking hated, but who was also really rich and had everything yeah. he wanted and was snot nosed about it. And he's just pompous and proud to the worst degree, but a fucking good fighter, like an immensely talented space marine. Um, but he's the opposite end of the spectrum to Salt Harvitz. Um so he's an important character to the to the story. And then we've got Lucius, who is another very recognisable name. Um in forty K he's known as Lucius the Eternal. Um yeah. looks but, a bit different as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucius is a captain of the thirteenth company, which also sits under Eidolon. But he's also friends with Salt Harvitz, which is funny because they're so different. But yeah. Lucius is probably more closer to the Eidolon end of the spectrum than he is to the Tarvitz. Yeah, he's also at this point in the story. He's quite like um, he's quite childish in everything he does. He's not. He yeah, he's just really, he just really seems comes across really childish. While Saul Tarvitz is a bit more mature in the way he thinks. Yeah, Lucius is petty. Lucius yeah, is petty. Lu, Lucius is the sort of if he was a kid, he would do something naughty, or he'd be doing something naughty with you, and then tell on you on the teacher to make himself <laughs> look better for being good. He's that no, kind no of because he's still friends with some. So he apologises to him, but yeah, he's yeah, he's just a bit of a shithead. The grass. But it's worth noting he's probably the best sword bladesman in the legion. Probably the best, actually. I don't know of any others that are in that legion. Yeah, I think there's mention of other people. Yeah, but he's like an actual blade master. Like in combat, he's just an absolute animal. 
Yeah, um, I think him, Sigismund, and probably Sevatar. They're like those three are probably oh yeah the best swordsmen there are in any of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's the Emperor's children. They're important. Um, there's one more space marine I want to talk about, and he makes me feel sick because I hate him. Um, Erebus. Oh yeah, I forgot he's in this book because he he doesn't turn up until like quite near the end. But my god, it's yeah the turning of the wheels start with this guy. Yeah, yeah, he is the snake in the grass. He's yeah. just an absolute dickhead. But um, he is the first chaplain of the Word Bearers. Uh, Word Bearers being noted for being too zealous of a legion, told off by the emperor. Many, I think it was like fifty years prior to this. Um, yeah, it's because you, you find that out in um, the first heretic, don't you? Yeah, they they spent most of their they were they were too slow in their crusading, because they'd spend all their time once they'd made a world compliant, then making it religious and praising the emperor as a god, and that's not what the emperor wants. The emperor doesn't see himself as a god, um, and the word bearers are very much responsible for spreading the Laetitio Divinitatis, which is the banned underground um, religious pamphlet basically the bible doing the rounds in the human level of society in the 41st millennium uh, the 31st millennium um, you've, you know that's come from them which is yeah. darkly ironic um, yeah, uh, it kind of works against them in some, in some places but yeah later down the line um, but yeah so uh, Erebus is in the story as well and he's He's there as a representative of his father, Lorgar, who is uh, Horus's brother, Primarch. Um, and he's just, he spends quite a lot of time just glued to Horus's side, um, which is gross and insidious and nasty. And yeah, don't like him. Yeah, he actually, yeah, he has a massive effect on the end story. Oh, he's that, he's, yeah, he's the first pebble in the water that causes the big ripples, you know, it's. Yeah, he's very vital to the story. Um, okay, so that's the Spaceman characters. I think it's really important we just spend a couple of minutes focusing on the Remembrances. Um, so, Jamie, what are Remembrances? Yeah, so this is a really cunning way that he they've used to tell the story from like a human's perspective. Yeah. Because you can get really lost in like just reading about Space Marines and what this actually, how they relate to us, what they're doing. It just all becomes a bit unrelatable to us as a reader so it's a great way to get a human side and basically it's like also another great way just to tell like a history like um in this book it's used where Loken is telling what's happened previously and it's sort of a way to like like a flashback way because yeah. he's telling a remembrance so he can sort of tell it tell it as a story which I thought was quite a clever way to do things yeah absolutely but, it's not just like, oh, here's a chapter, and it's like a flashback. It, 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 Loken introduces the story he's about to tell to this remembrancer, and it's a way of like linking things. I just think it's a clever way of how they used them. Yeah. And also, it's a, a good way, as I said, to get a different view on what perspective of what's happening, the events that are happening, and like how a space marine would be nonchalant on, on certain things like the compliance. This whole bit of... Um, when they comply the city and the, the space marines don't really get involved in the aftermath of what's happening and when the remembrances go down to recall what's happening it's quite an insight into what actually happens in this in this um, world of how they make this whole new basically make a planet which seems crazy to, compliant to 
something new. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 bonkers. So the the Remembrancer project is, I think it was um, Malkador the Sigilites plan. Um, yeah. To alongside the crusading forces of the Imperium, Space Marines, Imperial Force, the Mechanicum, the Night Houses, all that jazz, was to then record it. Because they, recording shit in that world, in that universe, must be near impossible. You know, mm-hmm. Everything's so vastly spread out. So recording it in every way you could imagine, in every artistic medium. Yeah, every art form, yeah. Um, but as also, they had a dual job, which was indoctrination in its harshest terms, with iterators. So um, iterators being people that, like Jamie said, the planet gets conquered, the people are a bit despondent, a bit gutted, you know, oh my god my world has just been flipped upside down. There's these eight, nine foot fucking killing machines walking around, holding me out of my house, taking me to the local stadium or church or field or something. And there's people just indoctrinate, like indoctrinating, but it's not indoctrination in terms of like 1984. It's being preached to, you know, like <laughs> this is the Imperial truth. The juxtaposition is preached to in an, about a non-religious matter. Oh, they, they're, 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 <laughs> you know, the crusade is a zealot crusade. It's no yeah. different to, you know, the Christians trying to take um, the Middle East, like back in the day. It's, it's, it's the same, you know, they're going around there and then just flipping their worlds upside down by telling them about this secular truth. You know, my truth is my truth, that kind of thing. Um, my truth is the only truth. It's, it's, it's bizarrely scary. Um, but there's that. So there's a character called Cyril Sinderman. Um, he's a primary iterator. He's one of the most important iterators on the Crusade, and he's part of the sixty third expedition, which is Horus's expedition, the most important one. Yeah. So he's got a really important job. You know, he leads the iterators. Um, his his primary role is to go to those planets and give those speeches and talk about you know yes you've just been for a horrible experience and that is terrible, however, this is for your betterment. You might not see it now, but you know the goal is to bring humanity under one flag, make us all work together, protect us from outside enemies, blah 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 blah. Um, and he's he's a really interesting character because he's not that's not just his only role. He's also a bit of a father figure, teacher figure. Um, yeah, he's like a philosopher, isn't he? A bit. He's. Um, yeah. I think, like in the Roman and like Greek times, they used to have iteration and philosophy were sort of linked together. Because I know when they used to go and speak at the Senate or things like that, you usually have to be a very good iterator to get your point across, and that's quite a yeah, high-valued yeah. skill. But also, those people were usually philosophers as well, because that's what would be the subject matter they talked about. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's a precise. That Do you know what? Now you mention it. Every time I pitch him in my head, he looks like a Roman. Um, he's wearing a toga. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing a toga. Yeah, he 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 looks like Socrates in my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's yeah. I say father figure. I meant it in terms of Garville Loken. Because um, yeah. he educates Garville loads, he's a bit of a conscious bouncing board for Loken in terms of he challenges Loken to read things and think differently and question stuff. And Loken's a bit, you know, I'm a fucking soldier. My job isn't to question; it's to do. And he's like, "But you're still a human. Like at the end of the day, you are part of humanity. You should think about things." Um, yeah, and I think that's excellent. Uh, says Cyril. Then we've got three more. We've got Igneous Carcasse, who's a poet. 
Euphrates Keeler, who's an imagist, and uh, Mercedes Ullerton, who's a documentarist. Um, I don't think we need to go into too many details. We'll give stuff away if we hover on them too much. But they're, they're, I think the most important one is probably Mercedes. She's very close to Loken. Um, uh, yeah, Ullerton is his personal remembrancer, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, so she's the one that he's always answering the stories to, like the beginning of the book, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so she's cool. Keela's very cool and very, very important, and Carcassay is also very, very important. Oh, yeah, I like him. He he has a really good uh, bit where he's wandering around a city, which we'll go into, because I think that's... Very important. It's a, it's a really important chapter, like, I think. Yeah, but do you know what? I think that is the full... The most important, anyway. Uh, the most important characters in the story. Um, just having a quick flip through. I can't spot any others that I think we need to talk about so let's do the story yeah there's a bit where okay yeah should we start from the game I think start, we have said, I think we said it before the music started that one line which if you're not sure what's going on really throws you off <laughs> so yeah talks about <laughs> yeah 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 so the, I was there the day Horus killed the Emperor, and you're like, wait, what? We're, we're jumping to that bit now? Or what's going on? Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at the very first page where it says, one, blood from misunderstanding, our brethren in ignorance, the Emperor dies. Like, it, that's such a loaded front page. For a, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever read it, I really remember go, like getting like three or four pages, five pages in and being like, I'm really confused what the fuck is going on. Yeah, definitely. Because you, you all know the ending, so it's just playing off that, well, we all know what happens at the end. Yeah. Are we there? Are we at the end bit now? Are we like, you know, like on a film, when a film opens at the end, and then he goes, well, hey, you want to know what, what happened and got me here? Well, six weeks earlier. <laughs> yeah, just very quickly, um, I watched an, I've been watching this program on Netflix called Shooter, which is about Sniper. And it's very, it's, oh, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. But there was one episode that started, and you know when Netflix jumps forward over the credits at the beginning if you're watching them in yeah. a row? It started with the main character immediately in a fight, getting the shit kicked out of him, and like, and then killing a few dudes. And I was like, I looked up from what I was doing, I was like, have they like missed the beginning? And then <laughs> just jumped. So I had to rewind. Nothing, I didn't miss a thing. Let it play through again, and then right at the end of that scene, it then goes 24 hours before. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, it really caught me out. It's the same kind of thing. Like, you just get a bit thrown in and a bit like, well, hang on a minute. What's going yeah. on? It's even more confusing because they're attacking a place called Terror, which is like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. Getting... So, go on, talk us through the beginning. What's going on? So, yeah, so this is where the Expedition 63 are basically have, uh, found the world which was linked to humanity and calls itself Terror. Uh, has an emperor, they they're human, um, but they're not playing ball with uh, the legion. They're not playing ball with the expedition of being compliant. No. So, so this is where we get, we get introduced to. Um, I think Logan's telling tales me, and he says that everyone laughs about the about when he says that, and then yeah, it kind of it links insinuates that he's telling this. He's told the story like quite a few years later and and many times before yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, i think it's uh, worth quickly mentioning the the poor captain hastius hygienus yeah 
Oh yeah, yeah. So it's get, yeah, going to get into that bit where um, so they 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 found this world. It's not doesn't want to comply and it's starting to be um, host, slightly hostile. So Horace, in his diplomatic way, which is quite unusual, and there's another juxtaposition because usually you think Horace is the war master. He's just going to blow the shit out of it, but no, he sends uh, one of his favoured captains, isn't it? One one the Mournival and. Um, Beautiful Sejanus, as Lakin calls him. Yeah. But he was well-loved, like a really loved captain. Yeah, so he sends him on a diplomatic a diplomatic emissary to negotiate. And, uh, I mean, they've got, they're still hard lines saying, you call yourself the emperor, fine, but, we you know, we've, we've got the real emperor of mankind here and we're bringing, bringing you into our fold. Um, that doesn't go so well. <laughs> He no. literally, they get slaughtered, don't they? Yeah, they get slaughtered, and is it in the throne room? Yeah. Yeah, by a, invisible ghosts or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and it, it sort of goes against, you know, human, ancient human mankind of you don't, when you send a dip, diplomat to negotiate, you don't usually kill them when you are when you invite them in, so. Yeah, yeah, he, apparently is, Horace takes it quite badly. In that, yeah, but he sends he, someone. He sends um, Malkador then next as well. He's uh, only, he's not like at that point does he? Is it Malkador? Um, no, no, Malkador. He sends um, what's his name? He what's sends Malkador and has to wait ten years for him to get there from the fucking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think what's his name? Uh, we just said about uh, just... Malagas the Twisted. Malagas, yeah. So and him, Malagas, and he, what happens to him? He gets literally blown out of the atmosphere. Yeah, he doesn't even land. They just so. Play. And that says a lot about Horus, right? I know you touched on it, but like Horus has just lost one of his, if not his favoured son, yeah. one of the most senior captains in the Legion, who's been there for like literally hundreds of years. Like you know, Horus has had his Legion for nearly two hundred and fifty years, um, and still reaches out another olive branch to try and do, stop an unnecessary war happening. That's not the Horus that we're told about in the 41st millennium. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, a big sort of, you know, flip reverse on what you think Horus is like. Yeah. Um, but then the Horus has to turn it on because of what happens to Malakas being blown out of the sky. He's like, right, fuck it, we're doing this. Um, yeah, and like they, st- they start launching their warships as well. So he's just like, right, well, time to uh, send in... As he, they say in other bits as well, send in the spear tip. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they're well known for, aren't they? They're known for daring, brutal, fast-paced assaults straight into the capital or the the wherever the head command is and decapitating the head. Yeah, kill the head and the body will die. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they send four four companies. Um, the first company, which is the Badans, right? Yeah. Also sends Torgadans, Axamand, and Loken. So. There you go. There's your Loken getting his foot in the door without realizing it. Um, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think they do land some Titans as well, but I mean, this is all like they're sort of like doing the suburbs, aren't they? They're sort of well, he sends these four companies into the into the heart of the palace. There's like a an em- the Emperor's Palace where they're attacking. Yeah, the 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 the, the imagery in your head when you're reading it is bonkers. Like, oh, here's Abaddon assaulting the Emperor's Palace. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, very well done. Um, and it's, it's rather, you know, first taste of, like, Astrati's fighting in this 30k world. It's, yeah, it's it's different to 40k. 
battles. I don't know. It's just something different about them. And yeah, or it's mass numbers. That's what I always found interesting, and that's why I, why I really enjoy playing it on the tabletop. You know, I've got a Death Guard force. Yeah. It's it's blobs of twenty marines unloading bolt guns at stuff. Stuff just vanishes, you know, and that's how it feels in this. They're like moving from corridor to corridor or street to street, but it's in vast numbers and it's fast. Totally different to the way Space Marines operate in the 41st millennium, which is small tactical squads completely kitted to do every job. Whereas yeah, in the in the Horus, era of the Horus Heresy, everything was a very well tuned thing to do one job. But it was really fucking good at that one job. I think it's the scale, yeah, as you said, the scale, the scale of what they're in as well. Like they're in a like this giant palace. It's not in like a ruined church. There's like forty k's go to scenery is. It's yeah. Like a nice, pristine, huge palace. Yeah. Just the scale of it, as you say, is just yeah, vastly different. Yeah, everything's times fifty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that they um, there's a bit of um intervox camaraderie, isn't there, between like Loken and his three other captains who he yeah. he sees them all as his as his senior don't they because they're part everyone knows who's in the Mournville, so they're seen as like a rank above even if they're the same level of captain yeah it's not it's not an uh, army rank it's a sort of a unofficial legion rank yeah but so all four of them are in the palace and uh, i think Loken's the one that realizes he's closest to the center of the where the the emperor should be yeah, doesn't he Vox the Baden says, oh, you know, to give him the honour or something first? And the Baden's like, what are you want about the first one there gets him or something? Yeah, and, and they decide to race for it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really funny because I, I love that scene actually where um, everyone, all the Marines know about, they've heard the term the Invisibles because yeah. that's what killed Sejanus. And Nero Vipus is like pinned down with his Lacaster squad. And there's like rounds from some sort of cannon firing at him, shredding some of the marines up and they can't see where it's coming from and then Loken works out that it's invisible shielding like a sort of heat displacement invisible shielding thing and it's like something out of an action movie he sort of just throws a grenade does a big cartwheel backflip thing and then (laughs) rips the machine apart of his bare hands and he's like come on lads this is just slowing you down and they're all like that's a bit silly sir you shouldn't be doing that I really like that. It was just really heroic and silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but he, he gets there first, doesn't he? Loken and yeah, his squad. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And, and then they get attacked by the Invisibles as well, which is... And they come, they're quite a... This this humanity... This, oh, what, I can't remember they give it a name. Well, six, this uh, planet has... They have their own sort of super soldiers as well. They they are a match for almost a match for the space marines. They're... they're a match in a different way. I definitely think they're probably gene pumped, aren't they? Full of like drugs yeah. and steroids and a really hench. But their strength is that you can't really see them. Um, but how does Loken spot them? Does he just change his vision on his uh, helmet, or does he just open fire at what he can see? So I think he, yeah, he can't see them, so he just. He, I think at one point he, when the room's silent, he can see them moving slightly through the shadows and stuff. But at this point, he's literally the first time he, he just fires blindly, and suddenly like a blood spurt comes out of nowhere. And he's like, right, got you, and then yeah. just chunks it up with his chainsaw, and then like, literally blood so he springs out of thin air, and then eventually it, his body becomes visible and it's like hacked to pieces. So gross. <laughs> so what happens in this room? I can't remember. You're gonna have to enlighten um, me. Can they get through that and then they go up this like tower, 
because um, they, they can sort of come to the centre of the palace and, they, and he, he's like, well, I have to go up. So he sort of goes up different levels on his own, I think. So he Vipers and Vipers has lost a hand at this point. Actually. Oh, yeah. Um, he gets his hand chopped off. Oh, no, he has to, doesn't he chop off his own hand or something? Something happens and he has, loses a hand. Um, so I think... Uh, Loken at this point is like running up ahead and he comes right runs up this tower because he sees he knows there's something up there he can just sort of sense it so he gets up there and um he's greeted by this like old dude and he's like oh you you're the emperor of mankind oh well not emperor of mankind you're the emperor of this planet and he's sort of he he agrees doesn't he he's like yes he well he he leads Loken to think he is the emperor and he says why well, like it has like kind of philosophy philosophical speech about like why would you do this why you know we're humanity and but it goes back and forth like that and then these um jump pack troopers arrive as well and um they're like oh should we kill him now and he's like no no he's asked to surrender to the commander-in-chief which is horace the war master so he's like you should at least give him that honor as the emperor um and then something happens doesn't it so something blows up yeah, like the room explodes or something. Yeah, it's and, some uh, crazy room explosion that literally blows all the walls out and most of the marines away with it. Yeah, and then Loken realizes. Well, I think just before that happened, like instantly he's like, "Wait, he's not the emperor." And he like notices like this throne, and he feels like a presence sat on the throne. And and this is a bit, I was like, "Wait, what, what is this the emperor then?" I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's and very then, very illusionary, isn't it? Like it makes you feel like you're watching some weird alternative universe of yeah. the 41st millennium and then yeah and literally suddenly out of nowhere when that happens you hear a teleporting device activate and horror lands and it just like literally just like lifts up his storm bolt or something just one shot into the frame yeah kills kills this emperor of my emperor and um yeah that's how we introduced to Horace. Yeah. So he like, look, looks down at Loka and like helps him, picks him off the edge of the precipice or something like that, doesn't he? And yeah. Probably says like a quirky one-liner and gives him a wink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I made me laugh that Horace killed that Emperor guy that way because it's like they're no, they're notoriously known for flying in at the last minute and winning the glory, and that's <laughs> exactly what Horace just did. Yeah. Flew in at the very last second, killed the guy on the chair that was invisible, doing whatever it was. That I think it was some sort of psychic blast. Yeah. And steals all of the victory. Yeah, it was a very eighties movie too. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, there's Horus and there's Loken and we yeah. They've taken the planet. Well, we think they've taken the planet. Yeah. So yeah, so that's just, that's the whole yeah. Now we're into the compliance stage of taking over this uh, taking over this world and uh, I think there is some other bits this is where we get introduced to maybe some of the remembrances at this point yeah so the planet's been made compliant but the as we mentioned before the remembrances then have a job to do particularly people like Cinderman who start doing the orating and getting everyone to understand the imperial truth but at the same time the imperial army are sort of hanging around doing their job of protection as well as um, hiding in bars and stuff and doing what soldiers probably do when they're not being watched um, and I think that's when Igneous Carcassi, the poet who's a bit of a drinker 
goes on a random tour of the city and just starts getting pissed. Oh um, yeah, so yeah, he's like been invited to the architect is like doing this massive speech about how he's going to redesign this whole world to be in you know in keeping with um, uh, the empire as usually you know the Gothic architecture as we know and what he's going to do to show this world uh, like how they can symbolically show how they're compliant and it's like this whole grand scheme you know like after the war and these like whole city like Coventry and places like got redesigned and mm-hmm. so that's what he's like kind of doing and yeah. obviously he's like bored off his tits about it um he's really done well done in the audiobook as well he's got this like really posh accent and yeah the guy who does the voices for the audiobook is really good yeah yeah it's okay. really fun yeah and he goes through this whole like um he manages to get into the, the real city, doesn't he? And he sees like slums totally destroyed during the the war. And he like he goes on about this graffiti because he's a poet, isn't he? Yeah. And he's got like these um paper little paper notebooks. And it's, I thought it was really like it's really interesting little side story about how no one really makes paper notebooks anymore. And when he was first starting, he ordered all these freshly bound copies, and he created some of his greatest work on there. And then. Since then, he's sort of dried up artistically, and he's trying to. See, he's only got a few left. I thought it's a whole little world building scene. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because everyone uses like, um, you know, they write on iPads essentially, like yeah. data slates and shit. And he's just like old school. I reckon that was. Do you reckon that was Dan Abnett just sort of imparting a bit of himself into? Yeah, Ignis maybe. For sure, yeah. Um, I really like the scene with Ignis because he's the first. So we've had lots and lots of hope and. Isn't the Imperium great? And yay, yay, the Imperium. But Igneous, he gets really pissed and he's just thinking and ranting about, um, oh, how's it phrased? It's like, under the pretense of enlightenment um, is actually just naked con- conquest. Yeah. So, like, he's becoming really cynical about it. Like, he's watching, he's just watched a planet of humans just get fucking bashed to bits because the Emperor wants the planet. And he gets that, but he doesn't know if that's really the right thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, He's um, saying things that are not uh, well taken by others of the Imperium. And he, I think, he, like, as he said, he's like noting all this like graffiti, and he's like, "Oh, this is so good." And then he gets to like, which is a church. We find out it's a church, and he's like, oh, "I remember like, you know, hearing stories about these places." And and then he gets him thinking about why should we come here and just destroy this whole culture just because we think it's not in keeping with our culture yeah yeah a lot of parallels to modern world shall we say but yeah um, absolutely Um, and he gets he gets totally pissed doesn't he and then eventually he starts spouting that how this world and what the imperium will will not last forever um nothing can last forever this world probably thought it would last forever and it hasn't um what we were doing won't last forever this the imperium will crumble eventually and these soldiers get really angry and almost beat him to death for it. Yeah. They arrest him, don't they, eventually. They chuck him in the chuck him in a jail cell. Yeah. Um so while that's happening, Loken gets inducted to the Mournville. The Mournville. Yeah, um, which is really becomes this like culty scene, isn't it? It's really like And he's super uncomfortable about it. Yeah, because it's done at the moon, like a full moon, by water, and it's all people wearing hoods, and it's like, say your name, and they come forward into the sun, into the candlelight and stuff. It's really culty, Wicker Man esque. Like, 
yeah. yeah. He's like, this is weird. And he's really not into shit like that. And he almost walks away as like, this is nonsense, I'm leaving. And they're like, Logan, it's us, come here. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's tradition, they say it as, don't they? they say, yeah. The, the Legion's always done it this way. It's not, it's, it's just, we don't do it for any reason apart from tradition. And he's kind of like, okay, fine, this, you know, I understand tradition. I don't understand, like, mystic bullshit for mystic bullshit. But... Yeah. But they uh, induct him in, it's under the moonlight, and it has to be reflected in water, right? Yes. So they have to stand around a puddle or a lake or something, and and they each have a different moon engraved on their helmet, right? Yeah, so they have yeah, waxing, waning, full, and no moon, yeah. Yeah, like an outline. Um, yeah. And yeah, he officially becomes the fourth member of the Mournable, and they all agree that that's probably the most balanced it's ever been, because it's They've got all four humours, like, perfectly poised. Um, and I, just, I think it's really great. It's a really good leadership technique. Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're used, Horace uses them as, like, when he wants to say something, but he knows that diplomatically he can't say it himself, that he uses, basically, he uses the Mournival to voice what he wants to say. Yeah. yeah. He does that a lot, which we'll yeah. talk about later. Okay, so planets being complied, apart from one place. Um, we find out that the Imperial Army hasn't managed to crack the Whisperhead Mountains. Yes, yes, this is the first scene where things are not quite as you... I mean, you get get a little bit instinct of what's happened before with Carcassy, but this is like this whole scene chapter is where like things start to really creep into what the Horus Heresy starts to be all about, doesn't it? This is this is where Samus is here. Samus is here. Yeah, so, yeah it's very um, weird. There's like all, basically all the rebels from the city have fled and they've holden up into this massive mountain range and they're causing the Imperium army like a real hard time. So um, this is where Horus uses the Mournival and he says he basically wants to send the Astrates in there and get the job done, but he can't diplomatically say that to the army or, and things like that. So Without he just insulting them, yeah. yeah. Yes, so he just gets um, Loken. Loken volunteers and says, let me be the spear tip, let me send in the tenth and just get this job done. Yeah, and um, isn't Rogel Dawn there? Yeah, so yeah, so they have that meeting, and I was about to say this because the Rogel Dawn bit links to the carcassy bit because... Um, they have that meeting, and this is the first time you actually hear Horace speak, because you know he turns up and blows the Emperor away, and then there's a massive chunk of stuff, and you don't actually see Horace again until this part, where he enters the uh, strategium, and that's quite a chunk into the book, this is like yeah. probably a third into the book. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so you um, don't see him until then, and this is where he comes over a charismatic, he, everyone's applauding him, and he uses the Mournival in that way, and yeah, and then he go once Loken's volunteered, and he knows the temp going in, he like retires to his his lounge with um, Mary Hurst, and then when they go in there, there's a someone and someone else, Rogel Dawn's there, and uh, this is where Rogel Dawn says that he personally. Did he approve Loken or put his he name? He recommended forward? him. He put him forward. Yeah, Which don't know how like, he knew about wow, him. Primark knows his name. Is yeah, he. D- I don't think he even knows. But it's just that's Rogel Dawn. He's a detail man. Like, um, yeah. he's just like uh, uh, Rebute Gilliman in that sense. Knows all yeah. the details. 
Those two are quite um, same, same but different. So far, they're very similar. Yeah, same, same incredible. but different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was going to say this links to Carcassy because Sigismund's there, and he starts spouting stuff that is very similar to what Carcassy is saying. He's saying this war will never end. Like they're all going about, oh, what you know, we're almost finished. Um, the Great Crusade. What we're going to do now? And um, I think someone jokes that Luna was being trained to be, or the Ultramarines have been trained to be something like diplomats as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is thinking. He's always thinking, right, after this war, they should be able to do other stuff. And Sigmund's like, nah, this is never going to end. Like, the Imperium will collapse on itself and we'll be have to use to be take control, which is basically what Carcassi is saying. But because it's Sigismund, everyone's like they all joke about it and like oh Sigismund you, you typical you miserable swine. bastard yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but um yeah well so, he had the last laugh yeah, yeah exactly so yeah that's what that's how it links to Carcass because Logan says oh I heard uh I heard Sigismund say that and yeah it's yeah yeah um I just had a look at the notes it's like uh Rokal Dawn recommended um Logan because he felt his humanity was necessary because Abaddon is too quick to anger and Axeman's too lofty. So he needed some, he recommended someone be in there that balance the the humours slightly. Yeah. That must be quite nice to be heard, be told by a fucking giant of a human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they go. That's where they joke about like um, the Imperial Fist being sent home as well. This is where the Emperor's asked for. The Imperial Fist to come and reinforce terror. Yes, yeah, and they they don't know why. Horus doesn't know why. I know why as a reader, but yeah, I'm further ahead in the books than you are, so we can't really say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they've they that's it. That the the, the Loken's temp company then make assault on the Whisperheads. Yeah, and literally, as yeah, they load up, and there's a whole bit of them. Remembrances watch them loading and taking off and stuff, and uh, it's quite a nice scene. And then as soon as they're oh, out, is that when they do the oath of moment. Yes, that's yes, beautiful. Yeah it's, beautiful. yeah, it's actually a really, really beautifully bit of uh, beautifully written bit because there's like a bit of a jokey, boisterous camaraderie between the Mournival there. Like yeah. you read it and you think, "Fuck, how could Abaddon be the Abaddon we know in the future?" Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. he does, they do that lovely like them four standing there, and it all looks really serious, but they're all joking about with each other, and they make they make him kneel and take his um, oath of moment, which is like a purity seal, isn't it? Like you yeah. know, the, the waxed on. Where do they put it? Is it on his shoulder or on his guard? Yeah, on his shoulder guard or something like that. And yeah. um, one of the remembrances is there, and she manages to take a picture, and I can almost he does it so well because I can see that picture. Like that black and white, you see the stuff in some of the codex and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See that picture of what she took of them, of him yeah, kneeling. That was Euphrates Keeler. That was yeah. the remembrancer. Yeah. And do you know what? Just very quick aside, that picture comes up in loads of books. Like one of the um, one of the Primarchs, I can't remember which one it is, not Horus or anyone, has that picture on his wall, in his oh, um, really? private rooms, just because it's such a beautiful picture of the legions. Even after the heresy, like he still has it there. I can't yeah, remember right. what story I said. If anyone, any listener remembers, let us know because yeah. I'd be keen to reread that bit. But one of them definitely has it. It might be Rabute Gilliman. I can imagine him having it. Yeah. 
they became a really famous picture of the crusade yeah yeah yeah, yeah i can just yeah it's, it's a cool scene for sure i like it yeah so uh, they... that's, how, that's how they use remembrances in this book really well because it's that humanity side of seeing because i mean you could write it just about him taking the oath moment and it, it, it's a sort of powerful scene but having her there witness it from her point of view makes it even more of a special scene it's yeah it's good yeah it works really well um so I guess we just dive into the Whisperheads. So what what does what do they do? So literally, what is the Whisperhead? Yeah, so it's like a mountain range, isn't it? So, but it's got a uh, it's got a um a spooky cult feel to the whole population. It's always you know, it's been written in their history that it's got like a weird weird connection to spirits, maybe or demons, and they're like demons. No such thing as demons, eh? Well, as soon as they uh, take off in their Thunderhawks. Or whatever, um, the, the Vox just goes crazy, and they literally just hear, I said, Samus, Samus is here, Samus is there, Samus the man next to you. I can't remember the lines. Yeah, I do. Um, Samus, that's the only name you'll hear. I'm Samus. Samus is all around you. Samus is the man beside you. Samus will gnaw upon your bones. Like, that's so scary. <laughs> yeah. That last line, that's... Samus will gnaw upon your bones. That's just, ugh. Yeah, and um, in the audio book, he does it really well as well. That bit is really creepy. Um, am I so right in thinking someone, someone? Yeah, so they dismiss it as Vox propaganda. Yeah, but doesn't someone say, "I can hear it," and they don't have any Vox? Yes, this is after. So we follow this like this. So you follow Loken's story, which we'll talk about quickly, and then you follow Euphrates Kilo gets permission to land after they cleared the Whisperheads. Oh, yeah. And she lands, and they're like, oh, can you hear it on the Vox? Yeah, yeah. And, he, and one of them's like, oh, yeah, I took my Vox off, and I can still hear it. Yeah, that's, so, that's proper chaos, witchy-poo. That scares yeah. the shit out of me. Yeah. Um, so they land Whisperhead, and they do this awesome scene. Um, where I think it's I think they mentioned it's like newly issued Terminator armor because we've got to remember like the tech still being found and developed like so yeah but they use Terminator armor to walk at this huge car like castle esque mountain that the Imperial Army's lost thousands of people trying to take because it's just so well defended they keep getting caught in crossfire and shit trying to take it yeah and these Terminators just walk through the walk through the gunfire with the rest of the squads behind them. And they don't lose anyone. Yeah, not at all. They literally clear out this entire fortress and don't lose anyone. And they find they find like a weird cult shrine in there to the pool and weird graffiti. And everyone's like, "What's this about?" And they're like, "Oh no, this is just a, them trying to freak us out." Yada yada. Yeah. It's... Yeah. They keep finding little bottles of water everywhere, like little shrines. Yeah, and then um, I think it was like dolls, maybe. Or I don't know. Maybe that's my imagination. Of what proper spooky like. shit. Yeah, I imagined yeah. it was like a wet cave everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. somewhere fucking Gollum would roll around in looking for fish. Like yeah. it was really spooky and gross. But the 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 grossest thing is, um, uh, in tandem with this story of Loken and um, Lacaster squad walking through and clearing out the rest of the rooms is the remembrances coming in and Euphrates Keeler just looking around just flabbergasted at the mess like 
yeah. all the glory of space marines taking stuff and being held up as the champions of humanity is really romanticised and like you know they've sneaked off as well they're, they're not meant to be with, they're, kept, they're meant to be kept really far away and just be like interviewing space marines as they like come back yeah but they've sneaked off and they've actually gone into like the battle zone and they're like holy mother of god this is what actually astrates do to people yeah and it's, it's just like, limbs everywhere and yeah. guts hanging from the ceiling and yeah just pure brutal yeah abattoir carnage like it's just disgusting i think they have a bit of a realization that astartes are absolute killing machines and they're beholden to no one like <laughs> imagine that sudden realization like they, they could just turn around and do this to us and we couldn't do anything about it yeah yeah definitely um so, this is where things start getting a little bit more 40k recognisable. Um, with someone called Jubal. Yes. Xavier so, Jubal. Yeah, Jubal is... he was meant. He's the one that wants to be in charge of Loken's company when he, he's away. But he was a more senior sergeant to yeah, Nero yeah. Vipus. Yeah. And um, so, he's got a little bit... And they're like, oh, he'll get over it. He's a big boy. And um, so he's a little bit annoyed at this point, but he's like, does his duty. And then once they've finished the battle, he gets, Loken gets a box from him, doesn't he? He's like, come you need, come to my position, come to my position. And he's like, Loken's like, oh, what's going on? He's like, no, just, just come, come, I've got to show you something. And like, he's like a bit frantic, isn't he? So Loken rushes off to find him. And he's at this point, like this, through this doorway. And then there's like, I just pictures like a, bridge that just suddenly stops like it's like stairs and it just stops this massive chasm yeah yeah that's how i saw it in my head yeah and he's nothing no one it's only him there none of his jabal's tactical squad is with him yeah and like it's like what the fuck's gone on and then doesn't he just like he just says samus is here samus shit as well yeah he just goes samus is here and then just starts attacking him yeah so they're like oh no he gun doesn't he gun down the marine next to Locus, yeah, he shoots him in the Locus, face. like he's obviously lost his shit. So arrest this, like arrest him, and or just you know handcuff him or something, so you get him home. And then he just literally pulls a bolt around, just shoots another guy, like through the face. It's like literally described as like Logan sees the guy next to him, the head just blow apart. Yeah, just straight through the eye slot, like yeah. immediate head detonation. And he just like takes another few down, doesn't he? And then um, Logan ends yeah. up. Loken ends up killing him. Yeah, so they yeah they have a big battle and he, they literally have a sword and then Jabal's meant to be like a better sword, even a swordsman than Loken. But eventually, um, Jabal's sword gets lodged in his shoulder, in Loken's shoulder guard, and then um, uh, Loken stabs him right through the torso. Yeah, and then he falls down these stairs, and then Loken um, pins his hand just before he falls off. Which is like, even though he's attacked him and killed his brothers, and he's like, Logan's like, what the fuck? He can't let him, his body, like, go down to the chasm. Yeah, yeah. He's still a brother. So, there's that, like, that shows you what kind of person Logan is. Most people would be like, fuck him, just push him off and yeah. the stairs, be done with him. But Logan can't do that. Yeah. I mean, that's not quite a good choice to have done. No, before. because typical. B movie horror story. Logan turns his back to see what's to talk to. Is it Vipus? Yeah, so they like, put his body back to the to that shrine, and right. they're like, he calls Cinderman, doesn't he? He says, Cinderman, you've got to come here, I need to tell you what's happened. And they're looking at the body, and Cinderman's going, oh, he's covered in 
like boils and he looks like he's Been like really sick. Or, yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly Jabal just wakes up. <laughs> and starts getting more boils and becomes very recognisably Nurgle. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yes. that's where it starts feeling like something we might recognise. Um, yeah, it's become very Death Guardy for sure. Yeah, and he goes hyper crazy and starts running down the corridor, doesn't he? Yeah, he turns into like the a model Forge World have of Samus. It's like a dog demon thing. He starts to, like his mouth turns into that a bit, and he like just grows so big his armor like pings off. And yeah, there he like, barrels down the corridor towards. Euphrates Keeler, who's managed to sneak in. And she just and, freezes. Yeah, he, he tears apart like two remembrances next to her, doesn't he? He's like. <laughs> and then just as he's about to attack Euphrates, and I think Loken and Vipers finally blow him apart with bolter shells. Yeah, and doesn't um, doesn't uh, Loken make the point that it took like an insane amount of firepower to kill it? Yeah. Definitely, and then they burnt it as well, didn't they? Eventually, they were like, fuck, we've got to get rid of this. So I guess to wrap up part one, um, conscious that we've still got two more parts to get through, um, Horus and uh, Abaddon kind of go into a CIA containment story mode, don't they? They try and make sure the story doesn't leak too far, because they don't want people worrying. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you yeah, meet Loken like, in this tavern, don't they? And they're like, right, who knows about this? And Loken's like, oh, just Euphrates. is like, right, Abaddon, talk to Euphrates. And like, yeah, Horace is like, comes into reassuring father mode, doesn't he? He's like, a bit as well. He's like, it's all right, it's all right, don't worry. You know? And then it's finally revealed that Horace knows about the warp and how it can have... A f- he doesn't... It's not about demons, is it? Well, no, no, and he doesn't demon. understand. He doesn't understand it to the level we do as a reader, knowing the universe. He understands that there's stuff that lives in there. Yeah, and it can inf- affect people in this similar manner. Um, he says his father told him about it, and he he thinks that's what the emperor's doing at this point is something to do with the warp. Yeah, but he's you get the hint at this point as well in the book that he's slightly annoyed about the Emperor not telling him about what he's doing. Yeah, you see the first crack. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And about him not telling him enough about the warp as well. He, there's, a, there's this hint of, like, trying to reassure Loken, but as he's reassuring Loken, you see that crack of, like, I don't know, and it's really annoying that I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and that wraps up uh, part one of the book. Um, so then we go into part two. Which I was going to say, Continue oh. to go and find a charger. So I don't think I want to do a break. Yeah, um, you go find a charger. I will talk to the listeners about part two. Um, so while Jamie's sorting himself out, um, part two is a funny name. It's called Brotherhood in Spiderland, which really doesn't sound anything 30k, 40k esque. Um, but it starts with the story revolving around a new planet grimly named Murder. Um, Mainly because the last transmission that came from it was from a Blood Angel's captain, I believe, who said that this planet is Murder. Um, The whole reason people are at Murder um, is because 
a distress beacon has been released by the Blood Angels and they cannot be found anywhere. Um, so they know they were probably on this planet but they don't know where they've gone. Um, so murder is the next chunk of the story. So we start with meeting the Emperor's children. So uh, we've got Sultavets, we've got Lucius and we've got Lord Commander Eidolon who jump straight onto the planet knowing that the 63rd expedition are on their way Eidolon essentially wants to capture the glory he wants to get in on the glory before Horus gets there so he can be all peacocky and show off welcome um, back oh welcome back welcome back I was just telling the listeners about uh, Lord Commander Eidolon diving into murder like a peacock because he wants to steal all the glory yeah there's a really cool bit in the beginning when they I think when he, they tell a story about what happened and the blood angels like he lands, and then like a week later, he's like, "Oh, there's there's people here. They put up a good fight." And and then like he doesn't hear it back. The guy in the ship doesn't hear it back back from him for like another week. And then every time he hears back from it, it gets worse and worse and worse. And he's like, "The last message is like, this place is murder." <laughs> so metal. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. So then the as he said, yeah, Emperor children turn up, and he just wants to. Wants to steal the glory before anyone else gets Because he knows, they know the 63rd expedition are on the way. And yeah. he's like, fuck this, I'm going to peacock and take all the glory. Which is a really stupid idea. Um, he takes two... But he just does what the other guy did, the, the, what happens to the Blood Angels. Is yeah, just drip feeding. Chuck everyone down there without knowing what's going on. Um, the problem being on this planet is whenever people step foot on it, it becomes... In, there's no way to see the ground. There's no way to know what's going on through some sort of earthy or cycle, uh, psychic-based disturbance. You know, they can't get through any comms, they can't see anything. So it just becomes this big mess. They don't know what's on the ground. Um, but the Emperor's children go down, and this is where we meet Saul Tarvitz and Lucius. And we're thrown into combat pretty quick. We get a nice taster into their relationship. They're a bit... Lucius is a bit... Why do I still have to hang around with you? I should be a higher rank by now. You're, whole, you're slowing me down, Saul. Um, and they come up against what is deemed the Mega Arachnids. Yeah. It with, reminds me of that film, was it Eight-Legged Freaks? That yeah. Giant Spiders, basically. Great film, great film. But <laughs> Mega Arachnids are... In my head, they were they were like shiny metal Tyranids. I don't know why yeah. I thought of them like that in my head, but in my head they were metal. They've got like a metal limbs for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they they um, are immensely fast and immensely powerful, and their their bladed limbs slice slice through power armor like nobody's business. So this is where we start seeing Space Marines actually being punished for being somewhere. Yeah. Um, which is a very big counterbalance to what we saw earlier. Um, so, yeah, the Emperor's children are on the planet and they realise they've made a massive mistake because they can't get off the planet and they can't communicate with anyone off the planet and they're getting they're getting wiped. They're getting wiped out. I think they're down there for 90 hours. And yeah, they've lost quite every, yeah. like, every 20 minutes. They're just getting attacked and lose. Every time they attack, they kill a lot, but they lose men. And yeah, for it's... Space Marines, they're not used to that. <laughs> There's a bit, though, like, Lucius, he, like, steals a limb, doesn't he, of one of these spiders. <coughs> He yeah. uses it like as a sword. He like straps it to his arm, and then there's a bit of Sol Tarvis is like you know he's battling and giving it his all, and he just sees Lucius is actually playing. He's like enjoying <laughs> he's, it, and he's pulling his punches. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, he's pulling his punches. Yeah, it's quite interesting insight into Alicia's character. Mm. Most of that's like, it's always like, I want to get the job done, I want to survive and get find other people and get his mission. While Alicia says, like, oh, this is great sport. This is like hunting. Yeah. And um, he gets a massive bollocking from Eidolon for using <laughs> yeah. using a Xenos limb as a sword. He's like, that's that's not perfection. You've tainted yourself and disrespected the Legion doing that. Yeah, so which is exactly what Sol Tarbet told him as well. So. Yeah, Sol said to him, don't do that, you're going to get in trouble. Um, uh, so yeah, they, they're stuck on there and the 63rd Expedition arrived, but they don't know what to do because Horus isn't an idiot. He's not going to send men down when he knows that that's exactly what everyone else has been doing and they're not hearing back. So he decides to wait. Um, and then it cuts back to the Emperor's children fighting. And I think they're doing a last stand, aren't they? Because they realise... Don't they blow a tree up? They find the blood angels that had gone oh, missing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole bit where they... Megaractors have got, like, a flying ant version. And um, they pick up some space marines and take them off. And so Sol's, like, chasing to find where they get. And they literally impale them on these, like, these weird trees and start eating them. It's like that bit of animals of farthing wood. Did you ever watch that as a kid? <laughs> yeah. 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 With the bird dropping the baby mice on the fucking thorn bush. That was that was cutting. That was horrible television a for a child. Yeah, I remember it was a kid's programme. There was like foxes being run over. And shit. Yeah, it was yeah. a horrible show. But like 80s, 90s, man. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's like that, yeah. And it's like... Oh, and so it's like, this cannot stand. You cannot let space marines and... And they, this is where they find the blood angels are gone, isn't it? This yeah. is the first time they find any trace of the blood angels. And they're like, I cannot let this stand. And I think Lucius is like, oh, you know, he doesn't really want to be any part of it. And Sol's like, I, I can't let this stand. So he takes three or four of them. I think there's a character called Bull, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And um, he, they go off, sneak in, and they blow up the trees. Um, and... I think then they sort of have to run away while they get attacked by the flying insects and stuff. Yeah. And um, so yeah, they, they they manage to do that, and then um, Lucius goes, "Oh, well, that was a waste of charges." And then finally, Eidolon turns up and goes, oh, "I saw you. I saw the explosion." <laughs> and this is where like oh, Lucius is like, "Oh, well, I'm fine." Now. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then they have like a last. Well, he doesn't. He, he rebukes. Saul Tarbits for blowing up the trees, though, doesn't he? He says he that's goes, a waste of uh, ammunition and explosives. Yeah, and so, but see, as a comp, so punishment, he makes him and his four men find um, traces like of armor for the Blood Angels and the Emperor's children as proof. Yeah. Yeah. So while they're it, doing, yeah. yeah, while they're doing that, Eidolon and uh, the rest of the Emperor's children suddenly get attacked on mass. At yeah. this point, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they get they a massive, massive one appears with big, with a really big belly, and it's oh, yeah, trying it's to rebuild the, the tree. Yeah. yeah, and um, they realise, hang on, these trees are important, um, and they kill that monster, and I think it pours all of its guts all <laughs> over Lucius, and it pins yeah. him to the ground like cement, um, <laughs> and that's what those trees are made of. They're made of this weird material, so he's stuck there. So then, don't they? put their backs to Lucius, like they all gather around him to protect him. Yeah, and he so finds that losing, really embarrassing. They start losing men, and there's, yeah, there's a two or three of them. I think Bull, that character Bull, is like defending Lucius. And yeah, as he said, they all go to turn around. He's like, oh, get free me, free me. He's like, 
Tarvis is like, I literally cannot, have not got a second to free you because yeah. I'm surrounded. And then I think, is this the point where uh, they think that they're pretty doomed and they're getting surrounded by these... It's a last stand. It's like a, yeah, yeah this is it, boys. Like, we're going to die. Let's do it. Yeah, then out of the sky, they just see drop pods. And who <laughs> is it who comes to save the day? Yeah, it's Torgadon. my boy. Yeah, he comes down. They wipe them quite quickly, don't they? Because they've, they've, they've got numbers on their sides. Um, yeah. and the dressing down Torgadon gives Eidolon is fucking superb yeah so yeah before uh, there's a bit of a bit of thing so we know how Torgadon got here I mean he, this is where like Horace was like oh, I'm not sending people in and then suddenly the weather breaks and they're like this is the first time it's broken in like fucking days months or whatever and like and Torgadon's like send me in send me in send in the spear tip like and they hear Vox, don't they as well? And they're like, Space Marines are still alive there. Yeah. So this is where Horace is like, fine, do it. And Torgadon, yeah, sends in and he's like rebukes the shit out of Idon. Like It's so good. Fucking... It's so yeah. good. It's so because Idon's like, Who the fuck do you think you are? And he's like, Who do I think I am? I'll tell you who I am. I'm the representative of that man up there. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, so good. So basically, I am the war master. Yeah, on I this planet right now, I'm the highest ranking man. So fucking shut up. It's so yeah. good. And yeah. he's like applauds Sol Tarvis as well. He's like, "Did you blow up these trees?" And he's like, "Oh, Sol Tarvis did it." It's like excellent, great work. <laughs> yeah, I think oh the way it's done is so clever. I think it's along the lines of like, Eidolon tries to steal the glory. He tries to make yeah, it out like it's his it's idea, true, yeah. and doesn't one of the troopers stand up? Yeah, for that's that bull character. He's like. Actually, he's like, uh, Sol's, yeah. Sol's like, don't say it, don't say anything. And he's like, no, no, talk, like, tell me. And he's like, well, as the War Master, I order you to tell me. And Bull tells him, and he's like, he's like, oh, what a fucking prick Eidolon is here. But he also admires Sol Tarbits for not wanting to take credit for it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he is my Lord Commander, Eidolon. Like, I cannot, he's, I, he's at a higher ranking than me. I can't go against what he says and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, he still stands up for his legion even if he doesn't agree with it. He's a very honourable man. Yeah. Um, so then they realise that the trees are the trigger to potentially turning the tide. And yeah. doesn't doesn't um, Torgadon say something like, uh, "Idlon clearly knows a good idea when he sees one." Let's, yeah. So tell me how you did it. Um, and then they go and start turning the tide. Um, and I don't know if they even end the war, do they? Oh, yeah, there's a whole bit where, like, um, Horace and Sangunius turns up, doesn't he? And um, Sol Tarvitz shows him that his Blood Angel's helmet. And there's a whole nice bit where Sangunius is like, doesn't even have to look at the register because he sees the mark and he's like, oh, I know who this is. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, isn't it um, like, really, really interesting that um, it's Sol Tarvitz that shows the Blood Angel stuff? Because yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. the ranking officer that Eidlon is, but Eidlon's kind of moved to the background a little bit because he's been a bit embarrassed. Um, yeah, definitely. There's, there's a whole bit where they go back up to the Vengeful Spirit and they have like a war council meeting. And like um, the Mournival, like Horace uses the Mournival to rip it into Eidlon and like what happened. 
um, so that Horace doesn't have to do it himself, so that he could get the Emperor's children back onto Horace's side. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's clever because like Horace, Horace can't shout at them because he knows the Emperor's children will take that personally. So he uses the mournable to take it, and he's like, "Oh, calm, calm down, boys! You know, this is Eidolon was just doing what he thinks is right, knowing that." Yeah. <laughs> what right. what a diplomat! What yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, they. I think um, Sangunius turns up. Um, and they literally wage war, and doesn't I think Logan says something about seeing them fighting like side by side, and it was like majestic or something like that. Yeah, yeah like just a lovely summer holiday, like just the yeah. best time ever. Yeah. Um, so I the, think, I as you're right, I don't think they actually like managed to complete the whole task. No, I don't think they do. I don't think they finished killing them because that's when another race turns up. Um, yeah, and it ends the chapters in a really nice way. These ships only appear, and they're, like, huge. They're bigger than the Vengeful Spirit, like, yeah. totally. And they just say, didn't you hear our warnings? Didn't you hear the signals? And then it's, like, end chapter. It's like, what? Yeah. What's going on? I think that it's worth mentioning, I think one other thing does happen during part two, very quickly, is the remembrances have after the Whisperheads. Oh, yeah. Have just been... They, they're all shell-shocked. So, like, Cinderman's having a crisis of conscience about the Imperial Truth having just seen some weird witchy-poo demon that he doesn't understand. Um, and so has Euphrates Keeler. She's just become an alcoholic and is just trying to drink away her fear. But doesn't she show Loken some photographs that she'd accidentally taken? And I oh yeah, yeah, of Jabal, and he's like in and he's like um, phasing in and out of time and stuff. Yeah, like he's weird. in. So the photographs are big blur, and they she she has Loken in her quarters, and she adjusts the the contrast and all of the other sort of technical aspects of the photo, and suddenly he he fades into the picture, and he's in a, in the same position as the beast. And like so, yeah. it's like he's in it, and that's just like really, really like Logan doesn't know what to say. He's like terrified of the picture. Um, so yeah, that that that's saying it's only a short part of that story in that part of the book, but I think it's important to remember because they're they're important characters as the trilogy goes on. Yeah, um, so she's like in a mess, isn't she? She's like um, been drinking. She's like sleeping with people in like her room, and Carcass is like I haven't seen her for a long time. Yeah, and. Um, and then when Loken leaves that whole scene, she starts praying to a Electo Divinitus sort of um, shrine, doesn't she? Yeah, she's got a copy of it in her room. Yeah, so that's she's turned to religion to try and manage her fears and anxieties, which yeah, yeah. happens to everyone in real life and in Warhammer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that takes us to part three, the final part of this rather long book called The Dreadful Sagittary. Or Sagittary? I guess it's Sagittary. Sagittary, yeah. The Dreadful Sagittary. So it starts off, it's quite fast paced, this bit of the story, I think. I think the last third is very quick, really. It doesn't yeah, take up a big part. Yeah, it's of... getting to, like, I get the middle bit, I guess it has some, like, is kind of like the action, the main action scene, isn't it? To give you that slice of fighting giant Xenos spiders. And yeah, there's a bit of what Horace says in there, isn't he? He's like, oh, this is a great war. No, I'm not fighting 
humanity anymore. I'm fighting a vile Xenos species. Yeah, there's no fucking like, black and white here. Yeah, there's no yeah. grey area here. This is pure, a pure war. Um, I mean, not like a intelligent Xenos. Well, apparently they seem to be intelligent Xenos because they might have had technology. But uh, what we find out is that they've been marooned on this island, the Megarachnid because of um, this other species that turned up. The Interrex. They yeah. they felt they had no right to annihilate any race. So they abandoned the, the remaining of them on that planet and then set up cordon beacons to warn people away from it. And the idea being is, like, preserve them. They're a terrifying race, but we've, we've shipwrecked them. They can't leave. Um... Which is a kind of a crazy thing to think about, right? I think just nuke them all, man. Get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're like giant. They're giant metal. They're giant metal spiders. Why would you want to? Like, they're not obviously contributing to society in any way. Just fucking no. nuke them and get done with it. Yeah, just wipe them out. <laughs> but yeah, that, that did, so the megaraxnids get left behind, and the interrex um, approach humanity, and the interrex, as we find, are human in origin. But they've spent, well, we don't know how long, I'm going to say millennia as a loose phrase, with Xenos species. So they've, you know, they're like a a conglomerate. They're not just all humans. There's different types within their culture. Yeah, um, so they've got, like, they do weird stuff. With, there's a whole bit about them communicate with music and shit, um, which is different. And then, but they have subjugated an a, intelligent Xenos species that they defeated, but then they sort of included them in their society. Like, they didn't just wipe them out or turn them into slaves. They sort of used, like, invited them as, like, a warrior caste into their society. So, Yeah, it's pretty it's, different. They, they are basically humanity, but you get a whole sense that they're, like, better than humanity in this book. They're way more tolerant, way more... Um, they're almost they're even more advanced, really, aren't they? They're like their warriors aren't like just huge brute force soldiers. They've got skill. They're like a bit like Eldar in a way. I always I view them as like similar to that sense. They're very sophisticated, very um, open minded as well. It's yeah, you I've, you sort of feel for them a little bit in this in this chapter. Yeah, yeah, they're a. Uh... It's that Star Trek aspect of. Uh spacefaring as opposed to the the imperium spacefaring you know like trying to unite different aspects of races and bringing the best out whereas you know space marines and the imperium it's more like let's wipe everything out um space nazis space nazis yeah space nazis indeed um so it, it so begins this sort of long slow period of um, diplomacy, I guess. It's two cultures trying to feed each other out and understand each other. While in the back, while in the background, people like Abaddon are like they they work with Xenos. They are not ones to be bringing into the fold. We need to wipe them out. But Abaddon is to he doesn't want to be a war master and only a war master. He wants to be a leader of men and a diplomat and a good person so he's like really adamant yeah. to try and make it work yeah definitely there's um when the interacts they're like 
oh, I'm Horace Warmaster, and they're like, they look, they have that, that weird musical instrument, they communicate, and when he says Warmaster, it goes like, brrr, brrr, <laughs> they kind of, like, communicate what Warmaster is, and they're like, that's such a weird term, like, I, why need, like, Commander-in-Chief? And it made me think, like, why did the Emperor choose that? It's such a weird term when you think about it, Warmaster. It's like... It's such a loaded name. Yeah, it Why is. not it's, Junior it, Emperor? Like, yeah, Deputy. Deputy, yeah, deputy like Emperor. Commander-in-Chief or just something. Like, there's no other term. Like, you've never used it before. And it's, yeah, it's really weird when you think about it. When they, when they bring it up, you're like, yeah, that is such a loaded, like, says what on the tin a little bit, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Interrects don't seem bothered by the Imperium in the sense that they're quite willing to sniff them out and keep them at arm's length and not invite them in too much. But the di- the diplomacy does start to go well, doesn't it? In that they slowly but surely start being invited to the home planet and they get to kind uh, they of... Get, un- they get invited to an outpost, actually. It's, yeah, it's one of their outposts. Because this is, this is quite a huge um, civilization. It's yeah. like... There's loads of worlds apparently, so yeah, they get invited to this outpost, and it's like a beautiful city with like lakes and houses and things. And they get Horace sends himself and a f- maybe a company's worth of space marines down. Yes, yeah, it's, it's Loken's yeah company again. Yeah, and well, Abaddon, Abaddon, like the Mournival there as well. Yeah, um, and Abaddon is walking around with like all he can smell is shit. Like he's got that look on his face. <laughs> Yeah. Like I just want to murder them all. Um, I love that bit. They have that argument. It's just like, um, <laughs> it's just like they have that mass. And like, Abaddon's really giving horror shit about it as well. He's like, "You're the war master." He's like, "Do not tell me who I am." And yeah. things like that. And do not tell me what my father, like, what you think my father told me to do, and things like that. And like, Abaddon storms out, and he's like, "Oh." Tell him when you know Baden. I'll speak to him again when he comes back grovelling on his knees. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking it's, funny. Yeah, like but I mean, Baden like fucking stands his ground. He doesn't. He's not like oh, fine master or anything. He like nah, I'm, this is not right. Yeah, you made me first captain for a reason, and I'm going to keep telling you what you don't want to hear. Yeah. 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 Um, so the diplomacy starts like starts going okay. Like Horace is feeling them out and starting to understand that there could be a peaceful way of of existing um and i think it's even he even says like so what if they've got some xenos species it clearly hasn't affected them um you know he's he's bending those rules that his father put in place in his head um yeah he said he says to him he tries he says to himself admit there's no the emperor this is what the emperor would want this is um he wouldn't want just me to like just go in there and kill humanity, yeah. and he's like he even indicates that actually this they may be a better form of humanity at some point, doesn't he? He's he's really not. Yeah, I think he this yeah at this point Horace is really it gets weighed on his conscience really heavily about what he's doing and stuff, and he's really struggling with like responsibility of what he's got to do. So he's like literally trying to find any reason not to have a war with another human race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that that happens, and don't they organise a big dinner? There's some sort yeah, of so big like a diplomatic tour, of tour dinner place. thing. Yeah, and um, I think apparently, but 
diplomacy keeps like stopping at a certain point because the interacts are not going to be subjugated. They're like, oh, we're happy to maybe do trades and things like that, but we're not being brought into the fold of your Imperium. Yeah. Yeah, we're happy uh, to know who you are, but yeah, we're not interested in being run by you. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're yeah. slowly moving forward over time, and while he's there, there's the company of Space Marines are given a patrol around the compound that they're staying in. Yeah, so Lucan's like, yeah, on patrol of this, yeah, of this massive house, like the house of the uh, governor or something, yeah. And he ends up sparking up a friendship with one of the guard. Uh, I yeah, can't, I think, I think he's a human, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not one of those other species, no, they're all interacts, so like, yeah, they're the human species. And he's walking around with him and they're walking through a museum or something, no, not a museum, uh, it is a museum, isn't it? Aren't they it's looking like at private, stuff? Yeah, it's like the governor's private collection of anti- antiquities, and yeah. like they stop at this. Logan stops at that book where it's got like pictures of like witches burning on stakes and pictures of demons, and the Interex guy comes to him and is like, "Oh, this is I see you found this book," and it's, they have that discussion, and he's like, "Oh, this is about um, chaos." And he spells it with like, a oh, K. That? He spells it with a K, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Logan's like, "Oh, what's that?" And he's like. And he's a bit surprised he doesn't know what it is. And he, he keeps explaining about... He, like, hints about demons, hints about things like that. And uh, Logan's like, uh, just say, I don't really understand. And then it clicks the interacts. He's like, you really don't understand what chaos is? And he's like, nah, I have no idea, mate. And he's like, we were wrong about you all the time. You're not chaos. You you have no idea about this. You, you, you don't know. Um and like Lakin's like, no, about what? What's going on? And he tells him, like, he tells him about what chaos is and the warp. And he like, Lakin's like, oh, I, I know a bit about the warp, but yeah, we're not, we don't know anything about this. And he's like, oh, chaos is like the ultimate evil. This is like the ending of time. You can't kill it with anything. This is this is what humanity's greatest foe. And you obviously have no part of it. Um, because you don't know anything about it. I can see in your eyes that you literally have no clue. We were so wrong about you. Come, let's tell everyone and we can we can be together, basically. They, like Humanity, we can join forces. Um, but then, doesn't he get like a radio? He's like, oh, one sec. He gets like a radio message and he's like, suddenly just turns around and he's like, drop your weapons. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, put, put your sword and gun down immediately. He's got like some big sword or like a halberd kind of weapon halberd yeah and like Logan's like what the fuck are you doing we were just talking mate well what's going on yeah and it's and they're like well the war master's on site so I I can't put my weapons down yeah and it's a bit of a standoff and doesn't he say like the Eldar warned us that you would be Trixie like you would be because they learn everything from the Eldar about chaos. Yeah, and how yeah, definitely. It yeah. comes yeah, in and yeah, he's yeah, like, the Eldar chaos. told us that you would come in different guises. You nearly tricked us. Yeah, and he's like, you're, you call you call Horace the War Master. That is, that's so chaos. And you're like, yeah, that is actually quite... Yeah, <laughs> quite cool, a really like, gnarly term. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's... And then they're yeah, they have a, they have a fight, don't they? And it's... Lakin's like, oh, you're... You know, they joked about, like, their armour couldn't like standard punch and like he fires a bolt to show and it doesn't go through go through him or anything and the armor's quite strong and he literally has to end up he cuts his arm off doesn't he and then like punches him 
into a wall. But he doesn't kill him. He tells, like, two soldiers come in. He's like, shouts at them, like, save him, he's dying. And, like, they're like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. And he runs off to yeah. find uh, Horace. And that this is the most epic bit of the book for me because Horace has spoken in, earlier in the chapter about the weight he feels, the blame he feels about Sejanus's death, you know, all this, the burden of, of leadership and everything. He's trying so desperately to not lead into a war, and he's watching it all crumble around him. You know, I think a fire starts, and everyone he's got like they had the, the centaur beasts that live in their society, yeah, yeah. fire like bows with like laser arrows, isn't it? Something like that, and they punch through power armor, like they go straight through someone's eye hole and kill a marine. And he's got yeah. a couple of them like embedded in his arm and his chest. Yeah, he's and not wearing power armor at this point as well. He's just wearing like a, toga. a rope. Yeah, 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 and and he's like begging them to stop firing. And yeah, he can't. He wants to know what's going on. He's like, "Tell me what's happened." And he, yeah. They keep saying we've stolen something. We haven't stolen something. Yeah, yeah. and eventually Loken makes it to him. Yeah, and he's like, "We have to get you out of here." And he's like, "No, no, no, no. We need to talk. We need to make it work. This is something's gone wrong. Let's understand." And eventually, he's watching his marines drop around him, and he's just like. Right, fuck it. Give me a chainsword. Yeah, he says. He says something. He like under his breath, where only Loken hears or something. He says, he like curses his father for giving him this responsibility. He's like, why have you made me do this? Why, why have you given me this responsibility? Why aren't you here? And it's like this is like the first real crack now in Horace's like facade of like he's even cursing his father for making him this war master. And he's, you're like, oh, okay, shit. This is. I thought it was really well done the second time I read it. I didn't really get it the first time, but now I know the story a bit more. I thought, oh wow, this is the downfall of Horace. Is that these cracks are really starting to show that he is he's not made to be this person that the Emperor's put all this responsibility on. He's just not that character. As you say, he's too human. He yeah. just can't. He, he to be honest, he can't handle it. It's not his duty. Yeah, so, I just yeah. I've just found the line. He says. Uh, Loken was close enough to hear him, but he was the only one, really. Um, why have you tasked me with this, Father? Why have you forsaken me? Why is it too hard? It is too much. Why did you leave me to do this on my own? Like, that's that's like, you know, when you stress out as a kid about an exam. Yeah, and you start yeah. fucking having a hissy fit. But the way he builds himself back up into the Horus that they love, the charismatic one, is, you know, a couple of Torgaddon's men drop dead with bolts through their head. And, um... Uh, Horace kneels down, picks up their weapons, and he turns around and he goes, um, if they're going to fear us, let's give them a good reason, raises his sword in the air, and shouts, for the Emperor in Chthonic, illuminate them. I love that. Illuminate yeah. them. Let's Ooh, fucking show them what we mean. And then everyone around them just screams, Lupercal, and then charges. Yeah. But that line where he says, like, why, like, the whole cursing his father, is." I think I found it really powerful because that's like right. This is this is the cracks in Horace that you see that why he why he would go against the emperor because there's this whole bit about you don't really understand why would why would he do this but you you get the sense that yeah he's just left him in the wind like he's just chucked yeah. him out. It's like off you go. This wasn't what you were bred to do, but go be that person. They were bred to be generals, not generals of generals. Do you know what I mean? It's it's I I I do feel for him. But also, it's yeah, his ego. But... His ego is his problem, because he thinks he can do everything, and he's been shown that he can't. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, they wipe the interrex, don't they? It takes them ages, but they. Yeah, they say like, this is another story, which I guess maybe the writers never got round to doing. But this, yeah, Loki's like, oh, that's another story about how eventually they subjugated the interrex. Or yeah, wipe- they they did oh. eventually take them over and make them compliant, but no one had any pride in it. I think it is like they were all just a bit like that was shit that didn't need to happen. Yeah. Um, but one caveat we've not spoken about is what actually caused that war. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. That's probably, that's so, probably quite a bit. Yeah. so a character that has been lurking around in the background for the whole second half of the book, Mr. Erebus, first chaplain of the word bearers, um, you know, he made his way to the 63rd expedition on diplomatic means to communicate Lorgar, but that was just a front. He was actually there as part of the word bearer's long-term objectives to sow the seeds of chaos into certain legions, and they've been doing it for a long time. Um, I won't go into more details on what that means, but read more if you haven't. Um, the word bearers have been playing this game for quite a few decades in it's all preparation and part of that preparation part of that prep is Erebus needed to be on that planet when the um, when the war master was there for one particular reason it was to steal something the the Interrex have been around the galaxy for a long time of a huge collection of weaponry and history and they had a how do you pronounce it anathema yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. Anathema. It was a weapon, and it was stolen from the museum. That's what caused the Interrex to switch from trying to understand Loken to there's been a robbery, and now there's a huge fire, and our buildings are burning down. What's going on? Um, and it was because that sword was stolen. Um, and that's a really important part of the story um, in the next couple of books, is that sword in particular, and Erebus's role in what it does. Um, but the book ends with... Erebus hiding in the depths of the vengeful yeah. spirit, cackling and stroking his stroking his moustache beard with the sword in a in a band in a in a bundle of um, whatever, just looking at it, going ha 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 ha. But that's kind of how it ends up. Um, yeah, and so where Horace also goes, um, he changes the name of the Legion as well. Oh uh, yeah, he does he, uh, at Is the it, end of um, that war. Yeah, the Emperor said, told me I should have done this, because the Emperor said, you need to make yourself different and be recognised in your new role. So he says, I suggest you change your legion to the Sons of Horus. Yeah, and he does it. The, yeah. Which means a whole overhaul of their colour scheme, which is quite representative of their mood, right? They look like a curdled green. Yeah, they're like a... Yeah, sea a green, like a, a, yeah. a, a grey, grey, minty green colour, where they were white. And, you know, instead of having the symbol of the wolf, which was owned by everyone, they're now branded with the Eye of Horus. And I think they're two very different types of branding. You've got the the wolf symbol, which was Chthonian, and they all identified with, because he might not have come from there, but they all identified with it, and now they've got his eye. You know, it's yeah. the which weight of them. Which be the Eye of Terror, not Terror. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this that, that that's a very important symbol for millennia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it ends with 
um, Mercedes Ireton asking Loken, you know, where are we off to next? And he's like, oh, Erebus has asked us to go somewhere en route to somewhere else. We're going to a place called Davin. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, which is a historically important it's place. It's like a moon. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, is a super important place. Um, and it's known throughout the history of 40k for many different reasons. Um, yeah. And that is the end of Horus Rising. Yeah, the book right, yeah, wraps up quite quickly, doesn't it? Up oh, the interact stuff. It's like, duh, 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 change the name. Yeah, uh, Bish Bash Bosh. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is it. We uh, have finished the book. Uh, I guess in summary, um, it's a great book. I love Dan Abnett, and he's so good at world building. The challenge, the absolute challenge of writing that must have been enormous. Yeah, the first, I mean, yeah, the book is chunky because it has so much world building to do because it's the first, and you can tell it's part of a trilogy, so it's it does stand on its own, but you obviously there are other bits that even though it leads on to something else. But yeah, the challenge of having to do that first book, oh man. Yeah, yeah it's just that, it's the preconceptions making you feel things for characters that you have knowledge of. Uh, it's like you said to me before the episode started, the analogy about the Star Wars prequels. For love or hate them, I you know, I'm 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 a fan of them in a way. They do a certain job. Um you go in with a lot of preconceptions. And I think the key thing in what they're doing with the Horus Heresy is they're telling the story without having to nod to everything you know. Yes, Lucius yeah. is in this, yes, Abaddon is in this. They're characters that add flavour and a bit of world building, but uh, how did Aaron Dembski Bowden put it? He said no one wants to know who built C-3PO. Like, that's not important. Yeah. That's not the part, that's not the point of telling a story that has taken place prior to everything you know. The point is to tell the stories you don't know. And I think that's what this does. This has reframed Horus in a way that people didn't expect. Um, I fucking love Horus in the first couple of books. I mean, I don't by the end of the third one, but I could see why people would follow him into the fucking gates of hell. Like, he's a likable, believable leader. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, 10 out of 10, if I was ever going to give numbers for books. It's one of my favourites. It's what's not to like about the opening trilogy, really. Um, if you haven't read it, do read it. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, anything else from you, Jamie, before I go into our final segment? Uh, no, it's just a really good book. I mean, as I say, I think the first... You can read it on its own. I've read it for two, three times now. It it never disappoints. But yeah, it's part of. You need to read all three to be fair to. I think get everything out of it. Yeah, so and I would say just go it. and read all three. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so there's two more parts to talk about. Really, one, what book we're doing next. We haven't actually discussed that. We haven't decided. Oh, so yeah, it'll actually be a mystery for the next episode for our listeners. Because normally we know, but I actually haven't even thought about it yet. No, I haven't. No. Um, do you want us to do more heresy? Do you want us to do this trilogy? Do you want us to do something else? Yeah, yeah let's put it out great. to listeners. You guys tell us. The only rule has to be it's a couple of years old. That was the rule me and Jamie went into when we started wanting to do this, is we didn't want to do new books. So I'm not going to go do the brand new Aaron Dempsey Bowden book or the brand new whatever because there's enough decent awesome podcasts out there doing it we're all about old school baby <laughs> yeah. dusty dusty books is what we like um, so yeah I'm open to whatever just um, we'll, we'll do maybe we'll do something on the old Instagram that might be cool 
Um, yeah. So, question time, Jamie, before we sign off. Okay. Um, question one from Ben Jarma to Trey Joe. Very funny name, 1991. How big do we think the Emperor's penis is? Uh, it's it's gonna be huge. He's all man. I can't. Oh, I'm gonna take it. Actually, I think he's like an action man. It's smooth. He he has no gender. He can be. He's not a man. He's not a woman. He's just. I'm gonna take it from the point of view of Aaron Domsky Bowden's interpretation of the Emperor. You see what you want to see. Yeah. You can interpret it in any way you like. Uh, big golden ray of light shining from his groin. Um, I think I think he's action man smooth. Just yeah, fair, yeah. Um, and the last question from Low Gothic: Do either of you have a favourite member of the Mournival, or one that you can associate with? Uh, and it's a two-parter. And what is your favourite mark of power armour? Oh. Um, oh. Okay, you go. You go first. What is your favourite? Uh, Who's your favourite Mournival? I think it's uh, it's Loken or um, Torgaden. Yeah, I, I love both. Um, uh, it's a tough one, because you get so much more of Loken, though, don't you? But, uh, yeah, probably Loken, to be honest. It's, I, yeah, yeah, I always fear towards good guys. Who doesn't? But yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll throw the spanner in the works. For me, Little Horus, because of his... Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but he comes into the books later and later and later. Um, and you see him in more and more... How do I say this without spoilers? Uh, reluctant slide to evil, I guess, is probably the only way of saying it. We know some of the characters go bad. But it feels like he never wants to be there, and he hates everything about it. Um, but maybe I'm interpreting that wrong. Tell me if I'm right or wrong, listeners. Um, Favourite mark of armour? Um, oh, that's tricky. I think it's got to be... Uh... Uh, I like the um, Mark III. I think the Mark III looks cool. Yeah, I'm the same. I was going to say Mark III as well. I just, it, looks, yeah. it, it reminds me of that very first Iron Man suit, which makes me yeah, laugh. <laughs> it's bulky. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always just associate Night Lords with it. I don't know why. Yeah, I think... Um, doesn't Yazaz wear it? Or yeah. Or one of them wears it, yeah. Uh, and he did, uh, did a low gothic followed up with... Also, the Conrad trilogy is... Some great pre-Black Library old world storytelling. Have either of you read any of the books? If so, what do you think? I have not. I don't no, actually know read. anything about it. I'm, I'm happy to sniff it out. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to explore some other yeah. universe. Yeah. yeah, me too. Cool. Um, that was question time. I think there's actually some more questions on... You posted it when we announced. Uh, if you go back on the Instagram... Oh, shit, did on, I? Like, if you post it? back... Oh, bloody hell. Yeah, there's loads of questions. All right, okay. Um, Athens Frame of Mind. How do you find, like, Abnet and later authors' insertions and use of classic sci-fi tropes like the alien overlords and sentient magical weapons? That's a broad question. How do you find yeah. insertion of classic sci-fi tropes? For me, they're anchor points, so that you can't tell everything as brand new. Sometimes you need to use pre-understood storytelling techniques yeah I definitely understand really, yeah it can be as a juxtaposition because the Imperium is so like grimdark and that's its aesthetic 
Whereas if you're in a massive universe, not every race is going to be like grimdark. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy for some some races to be super shiny, Star Trekky look because that's how they've grown in society and their culture is. So yeah, I think it it works because it's when you make the Imperium sort of super shiny sci-fi that doesn't work because that's not its aesthetic. It's it's gothic grimdark, and I think the jokes. Uh, it should be kept like that, but the juxtaposition when it meets other races who aren't like that, uh, it's fine. I quite yeah, it works. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, um, and the last question before we wrap up is, uh, who is your favourite lunar wolf? So we kind of tapped into that as a mournival, but who do you if you had to widen the net? Um, I think Acton Cruz. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, mine's going to be Nero Vipus. I've always got time for the loyal right hand man. <laughs> yeah. The the Watson to the Sherlock Holmes. He, he is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. And um, he takes his hand like a boy. He doesn't like doesn't even flinch. No, nah, like a proper marine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That was all the questions. So, I guess that's the end of the pod, Jamie. Um, thank you for listening, guys. Um, we'll announce on. Well, we'll do something on Instagram for the next episode. Yeah. Uh, and thank you we should probably talk about our shirts quickly as well oh cause... shit yeah of course yeah well done forever uh, raining you back in probably when there's people listen to it I'm probably going to close it I'll close it end of Friday close so it end of Friday the 17th of so August. when's that that's that is tomorrow to us yeah um, I probably won't get this episode up in time so, <laughs> okay, if, so... You're, if you're listening to this they're done but thank you to any that bought them um I guess we should talk about what what we're doing with the money as well. Um, yeah, we. Did, I mean, obviously, we don't make a huge profit on it, but I mean, anything we did make on it, we're definitely going to give it to. Um, you face out with uh, Chris K. Yeah, it, so. the Chris K. K. Family. Um, yeah, going through some tragic, horrible stuff at the moment. Um, but he's been a supporter of the show, and he's a lovely guy uh, with a lovely family. And we just, um, you know, without going into too many details because it's personal for him, but you know cancer fucking sucks and we want to make sure his family have a great time um so yeah reach out to us if you would like to donate and you haven't had a chance to buy a t-shirt and we'll 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 hook you up but we just want to make sure his kids have a lovely holiday i know you have jamie i've i've gone through a horrible moment in my life with cancer and it's bullshit It's, it's fucking horrible um so shout out to the k family big love um yeah so anyone that has bought any you're doing a great thing um yeah and you'll look rad doing it. You'll look too. fucking cool. Um, <laughs> and also thanks again to Woody for the design and for our man Davo for doing the prints. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think his Instagram, I can't remember what his Instagram was. We'll put it in uh, the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Just check out his, he does some, he puts posts up of some of his cool other stuff he prints. And yeah, thanks to everyone who already ordered. Uh, we'll get them out as soon as they're printed i can't imagine it would be that long no no they'll come flying in quick yeah okay cool i ordered myself one of each i I can't remember did i order myself one of each we can do it we can do it afterwards we we, we run the podcast dave come on yeah you know i don't know how these things work i barely pay attention jamie (laughs) (laughs) um okay cool uh i guess that's us signing out now thanks for listening guys Um, we'll be back in the next month with the next episode of whatever book we decide to do Cool. Cool. All right. Bye. Peace. Bye.